Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Scott and Paul's Rambling Podcast. Welcome to Scott and Paul's Rambling Podcast. Hello. Scott McLeod here, joined as always by Paul Brown, and we're here with part of our little not, mini not series. Not good friend and colleague. I had a different idea in mind for the intro this week, Paul, before you stumped all over it. <laughs> you can just bear with me for ten seconds. Yes, I will. Now, <laughs> the level of professionalism here, I'm not even cutting any of this out. We're here with this little mini-series that we've been on. Our part two of our impact slash TNA retrospective. Yeah. And like I said last week, or sorry, not last week, the week before, uh, we've only scratched the surface on where we are. We were at 2007. Stop it. Scratching the surface. <laughs> There's some weird shit still to come. We're still in 2007 with TNA. So there'll a lot more to come. There'll definitely be a part three. Whether or not there'll be a part four is unclear at the moment. If so, if it need be, then yeah. I like that we're in 2007. I was younger then. We all were. <laughs> but it meant more to me when. It might mean something to some people listening, we don't know. But anyway. Well, they're not here right now. They're here with us in spirit. Yes, they are, I suppose. So, the point I was going to make is that mm. obviously, want the show, we want to get through as much as we can on the show, and we thought get down to it, but we thought, there's nothing that really happened this week, wrestling or otherwise, <laughs> that either of us, myself or Paul, would really feel an urge to talk about, nothing that would make Paul a very angry boy or anything like no, that, no? No, not not at all. Yeah. I mean, there is a little little topic of Super Showdown, mm-hmm. and Bill Goldberg beating the Fiend for the title. Wait, I'm sorry, was this, was this an unpleasing result for you? It wasn't the best result for me, no. No, it was, it was not for a lot of people. Granted, uh, at least Defiend did not look weak in defeat. From what I hear, it took several spears and a few jackhammers to beat him. Well, the idea of him looking quite uh, weak in defeat is really questionable. Like It's open to interpretation because mm. Matt starts off, takes a spear... Gets the right, gets kicks out at one, which was good. That it wasn't just one spear and done. Yeah, yeah. But then he gets the manual call, Gober fights out of it, and then as I said on Twitter, the SB Rambling Twitter account, you can follow us on. I was live tweeting during the show, yeah, here and when I could. But I, I just hope that Goldberg's offense was someone who's playing a wrestling game and has given themselves unlimited finishers yeah. to get going for spear, spear, another spear. So after about four spears, goes for a pin. Why it kicks out. And then he gets in the manable claw again, and then he powers out, and it's. I was gonna say the one that he hit on Taker at the last Super Showdown, where he dropped him on his head. Yeah. I, I think it's only Jackhammer that looks weaker than the the Jackhammer they hit him with. Hits the Jackhammer. He's celebrating on the top rope. The referee hands him the blue belt, but he's trying to get himself on the rope, so he puts the belt in his mouth to get while he gets up on the ropes. Yeah. Holds it up, and the fiend pops right back up. Just stares at him. Lights go out. And then he's gone. Mm. Lights go and then it turns out the fiend bravely ran away, away. <laughs> bravely. Brave Wyatt ran away. I didn't. Bravely ran away. I can I can see where you're going with that one. 
But I could look at it another way. I could look at it like Bill Goldberg got the one, got the best of him there, got the win. Mm-hmm. But the title in itself didn't matter to the fiend, really. You know, yeah. and he may have took all those spears, jackhammers, and shit. Mm-hmm. But even in defeat, as Goldberg's celebrating his victory, the fiend stands up and defeat and goes. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And then just goes right on to the next chapter. And in, and in that case, it was turning up on SmackDown, staring down Cena. When Goldberg reared his ugly head, he turned away and paved his lips. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I can't take credit for that. I heard that somewhere else, but I thought it'd be funny to do it in here. But I get your point. Like, he talked about it in the build up to the whole thing with Seth and they were teasing he was either going to fight Braun Strowman or Seth when they two were feeding over the Universal title Yeah, he said that they took something dear to me so I think the idea is of him going after the Universal title in the first place is he's taking something that would be dear to them Yeah, in which case that was the Universal title so I could see that like being the case obviously wrestling Twitter has cried the death of the fiend after this loss, that seems, as a little, expect. that seems a little drastic. It does. And I'm hoping what you're saying is uh, the case because the, the idea of him just losing and then on the very next night showing up and just starting something completely new away from the title. Yeah. Like I said, it kind of screams like the old Bray Wyatt and that you go from food to food, not really commenting on the consequences well, you, of his I loss. Can, I can understand why people would be quick to jump to that that worry, you know, that conclusion. Mm-hmm. But also, with WWE, as much as I like to criticise them... As a lot of people do. You know, as a lot of people do. A lot of the time, with certain stars, they get it right. Mm-hmm. And for the mo- I think for about a sort of 60-40 percentage of the creative, mm-hmm. I think Bray Wyatt, you know, Wyndham Rotunda, I think he has a lot of inf- a good sphere of influence on his character. Mm-hmm. So, I doubt very much that he would go into a, a programme or something nowadays mm-hmm. without putting a lot of thought into it th- first, you know? Yeah. So, and what has The Fiend always done? The Fiend's at his core, has always been righting wrongs, basically. Yeah. Wr- wrongs that were done to Bray. Yeah. He's righted a wrong... With Daniel Bryan, mm-hmm. he's righted a wrong with Finn Balor. First off, you mm-hmm. know, he righted a wrong. He didn't really have a wrong with Seth as such, mm-hmm. but he righted a wrong in the sense of like he won a title mm-hmm. and he held it for a decent amount of time yeah. this time, and he was quite a strong champ in my opinion as well. Yeah, I'd say so as well. You know, three very strong title defense. Well, well, not three. The the TLC match wasn't for the title, but it was yeah, three yeah. strong pay per view appearances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he had a solid run, mm-hmm. and now he's going right back to what a lot of people would argue was one of his biggest feuds under his Bray Wyatt character, mm-hmm. with John Cena. Uh-huh. So it's going full circle, and I still think he's going to be strong going into it. Yeah, I mean, the ar- a lot of the arguments from some people are that, obviously, the way they built him up, and have like Goldberg be the one to beat him, I, I can see the argument there, and a lot of people have even argued Fiend should never have... But even been in the Universal title scene to begin with because as soon as you put someone so unbeatable with a title, inevitably yeah. they must be They must beat, be beaten. Especially if it's the top title yeah. and then you're in the build to Mania season. But I think if it had happened at Mania, people would have been slightly more forgiving because what well, A would have been against against somebody who's more full time and plus 
you think those two are deemed unbeatable if you're not going to beat them at Mania, like you yeah. think Taker and Asuka were deemed unbeatable. But then how were... often nowadays also in the WD, WWE do superstars sort of brand hop? Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, who would be a good foil for... If everything happens as we hope it to happen and Drew McIntyre wins a title at Mania, uh-huh. who would be a good foil for him to go against? If you're implying the Fiend, I don't know, like like you said, if his thing is all about right and wrongs, then I don't know what his beef with Drew would be. Well, sometimes he just goes into it and he's like, you know, he could play upon Drew's chosen one thing. Maybe. You know, he could play upon the, psycho- the Scottish psychopath. Yeah. There's many ways, like, a character like the Fiend... Mm-hmm. Is very different, very removed, and I strongly think this from a character like Bray Wyatt, because a character like The Fiend really is, he's open to so many things, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. he could zero in on a person, like, I mean, what did he have with The Miz? Well, I think The Miz got involved in his what he's no, but what Brian. But that could have been a lot of the time with people, mm. somebody gets involved in a feud... Uh, We'd kind of play on it, but then nothing happens. Mm-hmm. We fleshed the whole thing out of that. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Like the fiend invading his home. Oh, that was. You know, like, like, shit like that. Because, like I said at the time, that seemed to be like, he always says, let me in. And you think, what happens if you let him in? And that looks yeah. like that's what happened. And what is. What subsequently has happened with the Miz? He's turned into a cocky heel again. He's <laughs> reunited with Morrison. We've uh, won the titles. Yeah. He made the Miz. Mm-hmm. Better, it changed them. And what I thought was weird was initially the two elevation chambers were announced as the one would find out who's going to fight Becky, which Jane will obviously win. Yeah. And there was going to be a men's chamber to say who's going to fight for the Universal title, but now they've changed it. Yeah. They just announced Madden. It's going to be Miz and Morrison defending the titles against Heavy Machinery, Bissell's New Day, Rudin Ziggler, and the Lucha House Party in a tie yeah. chamber match. And they just scrapped the men's one and just had uh, Roman confront Goldberg. Just we said, ah, You want to know who's next? I'm, I'm next. next. Uh, I heard they built that up right and all when they big stupid speeches, it was yeah. just intense there and then yeah. I'm next. Well, that and the uh, the Cena one I think was very good to get. Like, they built both of those without really doing do much because Cena came out basically mm. like, I don't know if there's a place for Mania. Like, there's so many people who work all year to get on Mania. Maybe this is how Mania should go on without me. And he stood at the top, he went and did the salute and uh, he just turned around, he still had the slow, and the lights came back on, and just did the slow turnaround, as I said, the reveal of uh, yeah. the fiend being behind him. And like I said, you don't have to say anything, like, you've got weeks to build and to say shit, just for this initial moment, don't, totally. you don't need to say anything. I remember uh, it came out before Super Showdown that the plans had changed, and it was going to be Cena versus the fiend, and Goldberg versus Roman. Yeah. Now, this is when we still thought there was going to be a men's chamber. So I was thinking to myself, like, halfway through the show, I was kind of panicking, because... I was hoping that if it was going to be Cena Wyatt, then they'd have that for the title. Yeah. And, you know, Go By Rome would be a non-title thing. But then I started thinking, like, you can set up Cena Wyatt with the whole he remembers. You can do that with or without the title. Yeah. With Goldberg, Roman for the title, you could have Roman win the chamber for, or do what they end up doing. But then I started my thing myself, like, I realised then, I started panicking, thinking Goldberg might actually win, because I was like, why the fuck do you set up Goldberg v Roman? without the title being involved. Yeah. Unless Goldberg randomly assaults Reigns because he's annoyed about his loss, but like that doesn't that seems so out of left field. Yeah. So I think and also the report is that we can outsourcing some of their pay per views to like other providers. Yeah. And they feel you can market a uh, someone like a match like Goldberg via the fiend Goldberg versus Roman 
to a wider market than Roman the f- versus this spooky character mm. that some people first, might first look at and think, well, what is this all about, this fiend character? Because Brain ones went on a talk show and lead up to Hell in a Cell as his funhouse brain. It looked very weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, like I said, we shouldn't lose soul, I'm, but... I must say, though, in regards to the Fiend V Cena, uh-huh. I'm really looking forward to the promos and the back and forth. Uh-huh. You know, because I feel that Funhouse Bray could really, really, really play on Cena. Uh-huh. I mean, what look back at the Bray character, what was the Bray character always trying to do? Mm-hmm. Bring out the bring out the, the darker side of John Cena. Like, oh, like I say, like, is this what's gonna happen? Cena goes away for a couple of months after like he usually does like for films and shit like that. Yeah. And he'll come back looking as he is in that they've shown him on that Ruthless Aggression documentary, his weird trunks, his weird cut hair. Because uh, the fiend changes people, just mm. comes out spouting about ruthless aggression. Now, like, what if he, what if he, like, you know, brings in like, like, makes Cena super heel? You know what I mean? Like, uh, uh, or he could bring Cena back, and Cena comes back accompanied by B squared again. Just give Bill Buchanan something to do. Because God knows what he's up to now. <laughs> <laughs> but I was gonna say it's a weird thing with Super Showdown that there are three really questionable things that. People would be talking about the fact that three of them happened all at once, and we won't talk about it too much. The now, all right. Like, I'll just briefly talk about the result, and then we'll move on back to TNA and Impact. But you have Lesnar murdering Ricochet. Poor Ricochet, man. A minute thirty, apparently that match went. Right. I mean, literally squad away when he dived at him. Bunch of suplexes. F five. I mean, do the do WWE hate Ricochet or something? I think it's just a case of. Like this is just been he's just being used to like send a message to Drew. Like if you really want to send a message to Drew, but I'll do that if somebody Drew's size. Like oh, yeah, the like, difference between Drew and Ricochet is very wide. I mean, when Ricochet won that right to have a match, mm-hmm. even then I went and thought, Poor Ricochet. I know, like because you knew he was going to get smashed. But like, you, there's often a case where you have people going like against like the Lesnar where you know they're not going to win, but you can do a lot for them. And mm. the process of having them lose and not do what they ended up doing. So, yeah. You know, it's just an unfortunate thing for him. Yeah, that 2 8 trophy, which looked which was a weird colour. I said to my brother, it looks like they are going to take that back to their like testing facility and use that to test whenever they test Superstars Journey to see if they violated the wellness policy. Yeah, our truth run the dis- going the distance before being easily beaten by AJ. What's up? <laughs> and then you had AJ and Ray left, but then Ray got taken out. So Ray, so he said, if uh, AJ's opponent doesn't come down in the next ten seconds, then AJ wins by four for it. And when the referee got to five, cuts the backstage, he yells, and Anderson taking it, and you see a black coat and boots swatting yeah. by. Like, but then you got to think, Undertaker's entrance takes forever. Why did the referee stop counting? Before Undertaker even got a quarter of the way in the ramp, he just should have won by forfeit. <laughs> and then what I loved was, I said that to you about this, he was like halfway down the ramp before Mike Rome, the, the announcer, went, making his way to the ring. Like, he's been making his way to the ring for the last 10 minutes, Mike. Do you know? Is, is do you know what would make the Undertaker so much more cool now? What was that? If at one of these things, Luke went and said, Look, like the buzzer went for somebody to come out or something and you heard that engine rev mm-hmm. then you heard the Limp Biscuit song coming on uh-huh. well that would be cool I think the whole thing was he was 
for a while he was meant to come back as a we talked I think we talked about the time when he came back from Mania 34 because mm. also Kid Rock was going in the Hall of Fame that year and he could have performed his like, American Badass uh, I don't love to have seen that man although I'm kind of glad they did because the Kid Rock song is out of the three themes for Biker Taker the Kid Rock one is my least favourite yeah like if they came out to Rolling or, or his last one then fine fair enough but that one that Kid Rock does is pish I think <laughs> It's one of the few songs that's edited out the network that I'm not annoyed about. That's edited out the network. I know they don't play that one, maybe because they can't get the rights to it. But like, surely, that's a shame. But like, he's in your Hall of Fame now. Surely, if he doesn't, get, if he still can't get the rights to it, then. But yeah, so he comes out. He's fat now, him. He comes out. He choke slams AJ. Doesn't even take his jacket or his coat off just so well he was in and outside. You know, otherwise he wouldn't have <laughs> felt felt the benefit. And just pins it. He does the whole crossover pin because he didn't even do a tombstone. Just the chokes that wanders around. We crossover arm pin does the whole thing, and then people are like, "Cause it's meant to lead to AJV Taker at Mania." But some people are like, "Why does Taker want to fight AJ again? He's just beaten with one choke slam." <laughs> it wasn't even look that good. But you heard the reason why he wants to fight AJ. Go on. Because he sees him as kind of this, his generation's Shawn Michaels. Ah. And also some of his last good matches Taker had at Mania were against Shawn. So yeah. I think Taker's woman like, well, if I can't have a good match with AJ, then maybe that's true. Maybe I should. God, I hope that, I hope that Baldy doesn't come out again. <laughs> oh, no. But I do hope, like, as a good one, because, like, fucking... I know Shane, like, Shane's <laughs> had good matches in the past, even though he's not a fully trained wrestler, but I think... Shane O'Mac. Yeah, Shane, but I like, I think, but AJ had like a stellar match with him, but if AJ can have that good match with him, and he's still unable to fight to have a good match with Taker, then I think that's a, a biggest sign of all that Taker is well and truly fucked. Aye. I mean, good new happen all the like... Taker's been, uh, Taker's been well and truly fucked since Mania 30, in my opinion. Oh yeah, but like, he came back at Extreme Mills, he looked better than he had in ages. Yeah. So like, I really hope though he doesn't do that spot that he seems to keep doing that every time he comes back and he keeps fucking it up where the whole like someone goes for a tombstone the other person like falls back and lifts them onto a tombstone mm. he keeps going for that and every time he does he did it with Roman he did it with Goldberg every time he does it now he fucks it up <laughs> like you, face it you can't do it anymore <laughs> focus on the spots you still can do yes make them look good mm-hmm. Again. focus on what you know make it look good mm-hmm. stop trying to be 30 I know. Hey, you know. It's all, it's all thing. I mean, the you're, best two you're matches... Not, you're not Tombstone and Jimmy Snooker anymore. <laughs> but the best two matches on that show were the two tag tail matches. Like, yeah. Miz and Morris, that wasn't... Kofi going for his trustful thing, Miz moving and just splat on the outside. <laughs> back goes Kofi. Splat goes Kofi. And uh, yeah, the Street Profits v Rollins and... Murphy. Murphy. Mm-hmm. You you still struggling to not say Buddy Murphy? Yeah, he's not your buddy. <laughs> not your buddy. I'm not your buddy, friends. I'm not your friend, guy. I'm not your guy, buddy. But I was, I thought I think at some point in the next couple of weeks we should talk about like how many is looking, so we can refer back to stuff like Super Slo- Showdown. Slo- no bad. Yeah, I mean, there's five actual confirmed matches according to their Wikipedia page for the show. And, you know, Wikipedia, that reliable source of information. Wikipedia, as Lenny, Lenny Henry once called it. Because the five, although the five current matches in Swear are Cena, Wyatt, Goldberg, Reigns, Lesnar, uh, Drew, 
Becky V, uh, as it says, the winner of the Elimination Chamber, which will obviously be Shayna. Let's and, bloody hope and let's hope Shayna kicks her ass. And Charlotte versus Rhea Ripley. Have you seen they've announced what will... What I think it's quite good on the Tampa uh, takeover a couple of nights before mm. WrestleMania, they announced that instead of... Because uh, the Women's Championship isn't going to be there, the yeah. rumor was originally it was going to be the women's tag titles appearing on the show. That'd be cool. But instead, they're doing a over the next week. They're doing a series of matches to qualify for a ladder match, Ooh. and they're going to have a ladder match at a takeover Tampa, and the winner of that match fights the winner of Charlotte Vibria at a later date for the title. Nice, which would be quite cool. So, but all that aside, all that aside, I got my notes here again. I've got some notes I didn't get to use last time, and I've got. Some more notes that I've made during the week, so we'll come back to obviously WWE in the weeks to come. But Rock, today, paper, scissors, lizard, Spock. Yes, that's what it says on the front of mine. Yeah, for all you big bags of fans out there. But for now, Paul, send to delve right back in to TNA. TNA, total non-stop action. Now, well, I'd like to draw your attention back to something you asked me about in the last part of our retrospective. Go on. Where I mentioned that the last TNA weekly pay-per-view under the NWA is. Before it moved to the regular like format of like a weekly TV show and then monthly pay-per-views. Yeah. Uh-huh. It happened on September the eighth, two thousand four, and you asked me if I knew what the card was, and I didn't at the time. Uh-huh. But since then, I've went on to uh, was uh, Pro Wrestling Fandom, I believe was the website. I looked up it has like handy little handy little hints and mm-hmm. information. Yeah, it's like it has like all of the results for all the weekly pay-per-views. It's got yeah. like results for many shows and all sorts of information. So. And I've always been Paul. I was thinking, oh, for the next time I'll look up the, uh, the this card. The card. But like, I don't think this is worth two weeks of waiting to find out what it was because it seems both underwhelming and confusing at the Go same on, time. Go on, tell me. Okay, so the first match was. I had to look at this a few times as I was it <laughs> down to try and make sense of it. Now, bear with me. It was a six way X Division Domins Tag Team Elimination Battle Royal. Okay. Try saying that three times. No. <laughs> <laughs> you have the team of Kaz and Kazarian and Mikey Bats, the team of Chris Sabin and D Ray 3000, Delirious and Jeremy Clark, or Jarelli Clark, I think it is. <laughs> Jeremy Clarkson. <laughs> Johnny Devine and Michael Shane, Pete Williams and Sharp Boy, and Sanjay Dutt and Amazing Red. But then, I don't know how this happens because then it leads into X Division Dominance Decision Match. With Gerald Clark and Mikey Bats defeating Kaz and Michael Shane. This okay. is this, this is Russell floating all over this fucking thing already. It really already. does. Right, go on. What's next? Uh, a kind of six-person t- tag team match. You have Desiree, <laughs> Eric Watts and Sonny Siaki defeating Abyss, Alex Shelley and Goldilocks. Awesome. Uh, you have a two out of three falls tables match. Ooh. So you have to put your opponent through a table twice. You have AJ Styles defeating Kid Cash. Ah, okay. Dusty Rhodes defeats Scott Demore. Okay. With guest referee Vince Russo. Wow. Mm-hmm. NWA tag... So he's a referee now, is he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Chris Harris and Primetime Young Skipper defeating the Naturals to become the NWA Tag Team Champions. What, what? And the NWA World Championship, no surprise, Jeff Jarrett retained the title, defeating Jeff Hardy. Wow. Yeah. I'm just sad you missed that. I'm devastated. <laughs> De- look at the devastation in my face. God, I almost want to hand politicians. The devastation yes. is so Boo-hoo. sad. But I cry. Before we return to the point in 2007 where we were, 
Well, I wanted to mention something that was actually quite funny that I recommend people actually look up from 2006. I happened, uh, Kevin Nash, when he first came back to TNA, initially he had this issue with the X Division, basically calling them all vanilla midgets, and she said a good <laughs> big man can beat a good little man any day. And he spent a few weeks battering X Division guys without any of them ever getting comeuppance on him. Yeah. And he teamed up with Alex Shelley, who at the time was doing something called uh, Paparazzi Productions, <laughs> where basically people would pay him to follow people around and get like footage on them to yeah. like they've had heels using him to get footage to blackmail opponents and shit. So they joined the thing where I gave an to an interview with him as part of part of that production and he had this chart. Look at look at let's look at the top drawing WF champions of all time. It's just one wee bump. Hogan, slightly smaller bump, heart and then just one massive one like Kevin Nash, even though it's well known he is the worst drawing champion of all time. Is, then, he, is he really? Yes. That's a sad thing. I know. But then he was making it like this big massive but like yeah. and here is me. I I grossed maybe about a hundred million adjusted for inflation. <laughs> <laughs> then they started this whole thing, uh paparazzi idol I think or something like or whatever it was. Do you have any knowledge of the best drawing WWF champion of all time? I think it has to be between Austin or Hogan, because I've heard some people actually say that Austin in some some instances uh, outdrew Hogan yeah so it has to be between those two surely Sean's not in the more category is he I, I doubt even though like 96 when he was champion they weren't they were recovering but they weren't where they were and the NWO was taking off and word has it apparently Sean took also the fact that the company was slipping to WCW ratings wise because of NWO yeah. he took that very personally on himself because he was a champion and the company was still struggling oh. so he felt that he felt a little bit like a failures champion. Damn. Which couldn't have helped given the fact that he was like, as you said in the past, fond of the little bottles. Yeah, fond mm-hmm. of the little bottles and the drinkable ones. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, he's going to be drowning his sorrows a lot more. If he's... Which is why Hunter Hearst Helmsley <laughs> was his driver. Yep. The, the Connecticut Blue Blood was his driver. <laughs> oh, right. But, like, but take it, I started oh, thing with the... Ex- oh, irony. I started thing with the X Division where... They started. They basically it was done to give these X Division guys who were great wrestlers. Yeah. It was basically designed to give them personality. Where wow. they, they did this uh, Barbarazzi like series where they, they couldn't do that on their own. Like they were doing this thing where Kevin Ash and Alex Hill were doing this thing with these X Men. They had Jay Lethal, they had uh, Sanjay Dutt, uh, Austin Eddies, and Loki yeah. were there, and they were basically giving the uh, Loki eventually became Senshi, which is basically being asked. Go out and pretend you're a Mortal Kombat character. <laughs> yeah. Sanjay Dutt became the guru, which he held on to for quite a while. Uh, Austin Austin Aries became uh, Austin Star from TV Land. And basically, <laughs> basically he, acted, he dressed quite effeminately and basically ripped off likes of Billy Graham and people like that. Right. And basically it was implied the way he was dressed that he was also a little bit gay. And <laughs> just a little bit gay. And well, we had some, there's somebody on a pay per view, or I think maybe an impact, or with a big clear sign that camera focuses on for a wee while before cutting away from it. Big God sign in 2007 said, Austin is a homo. <laughs> and Daily Soul, most famously, I think, out of all of them, would eventually develop his black machismo gimmick. Yeah. Which was when he, after he did a very good impression of Macho Man, with most people just being a parody of someone like Macho Man, would just be like the depths of their career. But Jay Lethal really made it work for and ages. He sold it to fuck. Mm-hmm. Like he did it. Like the diving elbow became like his finish. He wore the costumes mm-hmm. and all, didn't he? he actually, redone the uh, the Black Machismo gimmick for All In a few years ago, and he came out accompanied by Lanny Poffo <laughs> wearing an outfit that apparently had been given him by Lanny that Matchman apparently worn one time. He'd won um, 
one of the shows that he'd won a WCW title before nice. back in the nineties. So you know that was pretty nice. Mutual respect to Macho Man in that one. Yeah, I'll need to I'll need to delve into Jay Lethal on mm-hmm. the YouTube. You should. Um, so that was really good for them, and there's some really funny skits that are as a whole playlist of these online yeah. that I recommend people look up because. There's one they go to this. There's all Jay Lethal's like macho. Well, no, just them, all these guys together, game giving these weird challenges by ah, uh, right, by right. Nash, like a push up contest <laughs> and shit like that. Like, oh, they did Pop uh, Idol, where that's where Jay Lethal first did his impression. Yeah. And you had uh, behind the table, you had Kevin Nash doing an English accent, pretending to be Simon Cowell. <laughs> there was one where they did, they've, all the exhibition guys went to visit Dr. Nash. Where he was basically testing them to see if any of them were on steroids, and he was quite disappointed when none of them were. Uh-uh. But then he just he kept accusing Sanjay of secretly being on the roids, <laughs> even though he denied it. Like, and they're doing the push-up contest, and Sanjay's like, "But my shoulders are like, I can't, I can't, I know I'm gonna come last." Like, hey man, just do your best. I believe in you. And while he's bending down, he puts a sign on his back, and the camera pans around. He he's put a sign on his back saying, "I'm on steroids." <laughs> <laughs> I think I can't really do them all uh, justice, like, you need to look them up, but because uh, one of Lethal's furniture was called the Lethal Injection, you had Kevin Nash's doctor quote where we pipe goes, tell me, Chip, have you actually delivered a Lethal Injection? <laughs> and uh, he's given them these inkblot pictures and says, what does this look like to you? And every time he gave one to Sensei, he kept going, warrior, warrior. And uh, after after like seeing that for all five, Kevin Nash gets goes, "Are you gonna tell me that it looks it looks in any way like Jim Hellwig?" <laughs> <laughs> or like Austin's one goes, "That looks like me holding the exhibition title." Or about this one, that looks like me holding the world title. <laughs> Austin Aries would leave at some point in two thousand seven, claiming that uh, he said people kept getting sent home for quote unquote bad attitudes. Mm. It, but I said that was really cool for. They got they heard a bullshit decision and questioned it, and they were deemed bad attitude. <laughs> he, like he said, uh, there was a story that he refused to come in to film, like on his day off to film, like his promo vignettes. They wasn't going to get paid any extra for for coming on his day off, and at the time they stopped paying for people's travel and shit like that. <laughs> so obviously it was going to cost him money to come in and do this. Yeah. So you think? I think kind of he was in well within his rights to not come in. Yeah. But I'd recommend looking that up because that's a great funny. But I want to talk about Kurt Angle. Yeah. Because in 2007 when NWA broke away from the... When TNA broke away from the NWA, mm-hmm. technically, according to some places, they say Kurt Angle's the last ever NWA champion. Other places say Christian's the last ever champion because also there's that screwy face where Angle technically won in that triple threat, but then he immediately got the tail taken off him because they were now going to be the... Uh, they're going to bring in the TNA Championship. Yeah. And I don't know if you remember the old design for the TNA Championship when they first brought it in. Remind me. Uh, hold on, I'm actually going to look up a picture of it because I remember like looking at it most recently and thinking, like, this looks, in a way, like for TNA, it looks like kind of like their version of like the old Undisputed title, I think, yeah. in a way. Hold on, I'll get it. Uh, Do you have it? You know, uh, here we are. Like, I'm probably sure there are better photos, but this is it here. Oh, yes. And for the time in 2009, I think that looks like a pretty good championship. Yeah, it does. It does indeed. So Kurt won the title at Slammiversary 2007 and the King of the Mountain match. You know, the match we've we talked all about the silliness <laughs> of King of the Mountain last yeah. time we were here. And we talk about how people, like, the main complaint about TNA in this time and obviously years after is that 
the whole thing was the favoured ex-WWE guys over their own talent. Yeah. And some you can forgive TNA for that. And Alan says you can't. I don't think you should. And I think you can't forgive this one. This was the most blatant, like, like favouring an ex-WWE guy over your own talent, which was at Hard Justice 2007, Kurt Angle won all of the titles. Every title? Every title TNA had. God. And I'll tell you a story because there's actually two really good stories I can tell from this because he started coming around. He's, he's had a gimmick uh, change. He turned heel. His wife, Karen Angle, his wife at the time, yeah. started appearing on TV with him and he started carrying around the, uh, the TNA Championship but he also had the IWGP Championship. Yeah. Although technically, and I tell the story, it's not really a lot to do with TNA but I want to tell the story anyway. It's not. It wasn't technically the IWGP Championship. Mm. You see, the version that he was holding was a title that had been used by New Japan and was won by Brock Lesnar in two thousand five. Right. Uh, Brock wrestling to IV. He was in the middle of a big lawsuit because he accidentally signed a "You can't compete for any wrestling company other than us until twenty ten clause" of these things, <laughs> which he then tried to fight because he was just so desperate to get his contract, he didn't notice the clause. So he. he so then he joined New Japan in the middle of a legal battle with WWE, so much so that he changed his movie. It wasn't called the F5 anywhere, he called it The Verdict. <laughs> I would have thought he would be more petty and call it the F6 or the F10 or some shit like that. Mm. But he won the title. He only had a handful of defences of it. He, uh, one of these defences actually came against Giant Bernard, who also became Albert or Tensai. Aye. Also, he defends it against uh, Akibono. You might remember from that sumo match. Against, I remember uh, Akibono. Good. I haven't seen that match, but like I, I can tell for how he probably didn't beat him with the F5 or the verdict or whatever he was calling it then, because there's no way he's getting that fucker up. No. Even if Even if Brock Lesnar is a freak of nature. <laughs> but like basically, he was getting annoyed about having to come back and forth from Japan and basically left New Japan without actually dropping the physical title and still had it. And then New Japan founder Antonio Inoki uh, founded the Inoki Genome Federation and had used Lesnar's version of the title as their title. And that title became credited as the IWGP Third Championship, where while in New Japan they crowned like a new champion with a new belt, and Kurt Angle eventually beat Brock Lesnar for that belt and started appearing on TNA with that title, and actually appeared in 2008 at Wrestle Kingdom 2 against New Genica and defended that title, until eventually they did a unification match with that version of the title versus New Japan's like title. IWG title and basically yeah. had a, a unified it and being the undisputed champion I think over the time Antonio Noki kind of made peace with New Japan so like, like let's just get all this unpleasantness with the belt sorted <sighs> and Krang would lose this unification match to Shinsuke Nakamura yeah which is pretty cool when you look back on it so the story of this match of where he becomes has all the titles is he he and Joe who was the X Division champion for the Dudleys, who are the tag team champions, right. basically in a winner-takes-all match. Joe gets the win in the match by tapping at one of the Dudleys. So then he attacks Angle after the match, takes both tag belts and the X-Division belt with him. So then he gets a, makes a challenge to Kurt, have all the belts on the line at the next pay-per-view. And really at that pay-per-view, the whole thing with Kurt, rather than just focusing on... Uh, Focusing on the match with Joe and how the fact that this is a match for every fucking championship in the company. Yeah. All night, Kurt was been annoyed that Karen Angle was supposedly sleeping with this other guy, as you've seen, Betty, with this bald rapper guy who 
apparently is actually the first cousin of John Cena. <laughs> <laughs> like trademark or something, whatever his name was, his rapper name was. And like he went to Kevin Nash, who was acting like his therapist, to try and get his head in the game. <laughs> And like, you're like, you're ready, right, I'm ready, yeah. And so it's getting nicely easy. He's crumbled back on the couch and goes, Karen, why? <laughs> and then it's, and then at the end of the match, no, you can't just build it on the fact it's for all the belts. At the end of the match, you can't have a clean finish. Karen gets involved. Turns out it's a ruse. He and Karen are fine. <laughs> and then Kurt wins all of the titles. That's fantastic. But then at the next month's pay-per-view, he loses two of them. <laughs> he chooses Sting to be his tag partner. So Sting holds the other tag belt and they both lose the tag titles because Sting accidentally hit Karen yeah. like off the apron like accidentally but then Angle is annoyed by this, hits him with an angle slam and lets lead Sting and get pinned. <laughs> so there goes the tag belts. Um he has an exhibition match in the middle of the card uh, against Jay uh, Lethal. Yeah. And Kevin Ashley even comes up to him and went like, Listen, you goof he, uh, he literally calls him a goof like, Listen, Kurt doesn't have time for this. He's got a tail match with Abyss. Lay down. Like, he told me to lie down for Angle, which he refused to do. They had a quick 10-minute match, and Geely actually counters the ankle lock into a roll-up and pins Kurt Angle, <laughs> which I think was his biggest moment up until that point. Yeah. So, Kurt goes into his match with Abyss for the tight world title. He manages to retain, which kind of makes Abyss look shit. Yeah. Because he couldn't be a guy who'd lost both his titles early in the night and, been, and he's in his third match of the night. But the thing with Sting would lead on to Bound for Glory, where Sting would beat Angle for the title. So, you know, there was kind of a bit of his next up. And what is also weird, and I'm sorry if I'm doing too much of the talking here. No, no. I like, but I like getting your reaction to things like your reaction to hearing him winning all yeah. the Do you know who they lost the tag titles to? Go on. The team of Ron the Truth Killings uh-huh. and Adam Pacman Jones. Wow. Do you know who Pac-Man Jones is? I don't know. I know who Ron the Truth Killings is, of but course. I don't know who Pac-Man Jones is. Oh, you should, I would check it out. I've only seen a bit of it, but Artist 24 special is quite, like, from what I've seen, quite emotional. Yeah. He, he talks about dealing drugs and getting sent to jail, and he talks about his time in TNA. They have footage from TNA. His time when he was had the NWA title and that, and yeah. interviews with Jeff Jarrett talking about putting the belt on him. So, so far, it's quite good, but... So, Adam Pacman, who I didn't hear of him before a few years ago, he was a, a football player who was on sterling suspension, came into TNA to help him gain some mainstream publicity, <laughs> even though TNA were going with slogans like, we are wrestling, so they're like, yeah. we're not as sports entertainment as them, and then showcased themselves to be just as desperate for mainstream publicity. Was this a Russo thing? I don't think it was necessarily so I think it may have been Dixie Carter or something like that oh right but like he comes in even though he'd been involved in an altercation at a strip club or one where he'd, he and his pals had hit a couple of the dancers yeah because they'd beat in the whole make it rain thing and they hit the dancers for trying to pick up the money for some reason and then they got annoyed shouted at by the manager who then took some of the money then one of Batman's friends apparently left the club and then came back with a gun and fired it into the crowd okay yeah so, lovely, lovely chap. Yeah. And by the way, he's made to get them big publicity. Makes an appearance at an Impact Zone for a pay-per-view. Comes out, immediately gets booed. <laughs> and then R-Truth comes out and starts... For some reason, R-Truth goes from hating the fact that he's there to suddenly becoming his tag partner. Mm. Don't know how that happened. Oh, and also, Pac-Man Jones would do very little in the uh, in matches because 
they had a weird thing he's called where he couldn't actually get physical. Mm. So he got the pin on Sting after Angle having the Angle Slam, but he didn't do any wrestling. And actually they even made a note of mentioning the fact he couldn't wrestle on TV, to which the crowd chanted, he's a pussy. <laughs> so the whole appearance went fantastic for him, yeah. man. His last appearance was at Bound for Glory where he and Truth would lose the titles and he would be subbed in in this match by Consequences Creed. I think this was Creed's debut. Who would go on also to be Xavier Woods. Yeah, yeah. And for a while they were called, he and Truth would form a team called Truth and Consequences before Truth led to the end of 07. Yeah. And for a while actually he formed a team with Jay Lethal called Lethal Consequences. That's pretty good. But they would lose the titles to AJ and Tyson Tonko. Ah. Uh, so then Pac-Man just left. Although they did make a reference to uh, to Pac-Man's whole stripper controversy because he tried to strike where Hebner with like money, throwing money <laughs> down, and Hebner didn't like ignore the pinfall because he was trying to pick up the money. Yeah. And uh, Mike Nick team going to it. Look at Earl picking up the money like a dancer in a club. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I say, Earl Hebner coming to TNA. Just that was another one. Like we're so desperate for XWE guys, we'll even take your referees. Yeah. Do you know how? Do you hear the story about how Dave and uh, Earl Hebner and his brother Dave got fired from the WWE? Go on. They were sell. They were caught selling knockoff WWE merchandise at the trunk of their car after live events. Oh. So really, the strip one of the stupidest ways you could get yeah. fired. We'll just try to make a buck, man. You're <laughs> you are referees for the industry leader and in professional wrestling. Like, even though you're a referee, surely you can't be that hard up for cash. Even, yeah. even if, like, business wasn't highest in 2007. Like, surely you're not that desperate for an extra buck. True. Like, for fuck's sake, Earl. And yeah. David will. <laughs> Damn it, Earl. And Dave. Damn it, Earl. <laughs> Damn it, you too, Dave. It was like when you get caught selling merchandise and then you get fired and had to go to another company. My name is Earl. <laughs> Sorry, I was looking Dave. through. Sorry, I was looking through channels and oh, my name was Errol was on. I hadn't seen any. Just yeah, that's when Ethan Suppley was a fat man child as opposed to a hulking brute now. Yeah, have you seen him? Uh, now? Yeah, he is a man beast. I <laughs> know. Oh, and one moment he's a big fat doughy man child, <laughs> and then he's a big beastie man <laughs> with a beard. <laughs> he's scary looking man. <laughs> yeah. So, he... <laughs> so. I keep I keep getting really self conscious. I keep going so or anyway because I can't I can never think of any other words to say. So or anyway are fine words to use for any kind of segue. I know. So anyway, <laughs> they, they they started doing this thing that they would do over the next couple of years where it seems like Angle would keep beating Sting, but would always be with some sort of interference because then with some like shenanigans, uh, the taping right after Ben Fogorio Seven, yeah. Kurt won the title back because of course he did. And then they did a thing where it was a, a tag team match, but it was for the, the world title. So they can't have just a straight match, it was just a tag team match, but whoever got the pin was the champion. It was Kurt and and Kevin Nash against Sting and a mystery partner. Ooh. And they built up intrigue. This was in November 2007 at a Genesis, I believe, was pay per view. Who was this mystery partner? The mystery partner would be revealed to be Booker T. Oh. Yes. Who had not left a more than a month, I think. Yeah, I think it was more than a month removed from his daily life. And I've, I've watched uh, a video. I didn't realise how... I didn't know the circumstances surrounding his departure from WWE until yeah. a couple of years ago. 
and then I watched it back, uh, a video explaining it back earlier on, to kind of in preparation for this. And the more I look at this story, the more I think because oh, thank you very much. Sorry, polished off for me a biscuit. So, the shortbread, ah, uh, cocoa shortbread thing. Yeah. Like the more I'll watch this video explaining how Booker left, the more I think, yeah, Booker's the arsehole here. <laughs> like. It's very rare when you hear someone's side of the argument, yet they still come off as the bad guy. Yeah. I'll explain what happened. Now, Booker's last match for WWE came at SummerSlam 07, mm. uh, losing to Triple H, because Triple H was coming back with his injury, and also because he was the King of Kings. Booker recently came to Raw and said, like, there's only one true King in WWE, and it is I, Zion King Booker. <laughs> like, there was a point where he assaulted Jerry Lawler for Derry to call himself the King, and then he asked JR to kiss his ring, and JR wouldn't, so he attacked JR as well. And uh, Jake will also have commentary at summer time. You know, you should have asked Booker to kiss your ring. The one you keep in your back pocket. <laughs> but so then the King of Kings came back to came to show there's only one true king. Mm. And while I in the build up to Triple H coming back, because I've got SummerSlam 07 on DVD, so I've watched it quite a few times. Uh, the build up to him coming back, because it was his second quad tear, the, yeah. the vignettes around him coming back were kind of $6 million man esque. They're like, we can rebuild him. He'll be stronger, faster than he was before. <laughs> so he loses it to Triple H, and then he's never seen again. Around this time, 11 people were supposed to be suspended for, uh, for being these... They were buying steroids from this weird pharmacy. Yeah. Because this is also in the wake of the Benoit thing, so they're really stamping down on on steroids. Now, see, 11 men were made to be suspended... Two of them weren't suspended. One of them was Booker because he refused to take like a test or something like that earlier yeah. and just said, fuck it, I'm out of here. Mm. So we're leaving because you were going to get suspended for steroids. <laughs> really makes you look like a cunt, Booker. It does. And do you know who the other person who didn't get suspended was? Randy Orton. Because <coughs> he was in the middle of a feud with Cena for the title. Mm. So not only did he get sus- not get suspended... But within a month after he was meant to get suspended, he won the title for the, the title for the first time. And then in that same video that explains this, it, it said that he would be suspended in like 2012 for his second violation. Mm. So if Orn had got suspended when he was supposed to in 07, that, that violation in 2012 would have been his third strike, which means Randy Orton would be forced to be terminated by WWE. Ooh. Which, obviously, he's a very much a WWE guy, so it's not something that would ever actually happen. Yeah. Sorry, I'm thinking about my <laughs> <laughs> It's good. It's a, it's a shortbread, chocolate shortbread thing. Yeah. Sorry, it's quite a shortbread, actually. But some of the other names on this, like Finaki and Shavo Guerrero, I think were on the list. Yeah. Which are like, what what do you guys have to benefit from from taking these rides? Kennedy was among the list, which also scuppered the whole, what was maybe the reveal of him as Mr. McMahon's son. Yeah. Edge was was caught out, but he was actually already out injured, so he just added another month on before came up could take him back. Mm. So obviously people didn't really notice. So yeah. Booker left WWE uh, refused to take a he refused to be suspended for taking dead even though he was found out for it. He yeah. left WWE and debuted in TNA within a month. His pulse phone goes off right in the middle of the podcast. You say as you're chomping on cake. Yes, but you offer him this cake. You can't offer him hand cake and have him not eat it. Of course. It's always just again about ASMR here, people at the sound of us chewing into the mic, you know. Yeah. 
Unless you're into that sort of thing. I don't know many people would be. You never know. And by the way, at the moment, I'm eating some Stalin. What is, what is that? It's like a marzipani cakey type of thing. It's very nice. I believe that's exactly what it says on the box. It is it's a marzipani cakey sort of thing. Yes, but it is. Yeah, we book our debuts and uh, Kurt Angle still wins the match. So he, he pins his own partner, I think he may, or Kevin Nash may look like he was a bit of a pin, then he turned on Nash and then took advantage of the pin that he'd kind of set up. The hurt held on about, he actually would hold on it until lockdown 2008, where he would lose it to Samoa Joe for Joe's first and only TNA World Championship. <laughs> Which, when you look at it, you think Joe really should have held the title more than once, and he probably should have yeah. gotten it before 2008 when he was on his big hot streak, mm. when he was undefeated. Yeah, well, I did like, though, because it was locked down and it was in a cage, it was kind of set up as this. They've made it look like a serious like fight. Like Angle came in in his real like MMA style gear. Uh, Joe came mm. in and also in his shorts and that. And also they have they're both really good submission specials. Yeah. So Joe wins the title and he actually is the for a while was the only champion. I think he was a became the only champion at these like became the mountain matches they would have at every anniversary. He was the only champion to retain his title. So, which was which was quite big for the time, even though, like, as we said last time, King of the Mountain was a quite a silly match. <laughs> well, you know, as I may say, but R-Truth leaving to the part of it was apparently quite a few members of the roster took exception to the idea of bringing Pac-Man Jones in. And yeah. Towards the end of 2007, Dixie Guard basically killed the meeting where the premise was, basically, if you're unhappy, there's the door. And a bunch of, couple of people went, all right then, bye. See mm-hmm. uh. Also... So about some there was a match at the end of two thousand. I think it was Turning Point 07, yeah. where it was maybe, I think, Scott Hall randomly came in, it was maybe him, Kevin Nash, and Jutsumo Joe against Kurt Angle, Tyson Tonko, and AJ. Yeah. And Scott Hall no-showed. <laughs> and Samoa Joe went out and cut a shoot promo on likes of Scott Hall and basically the idea of old-timers being brought in. I'm good, I don't really like Marty Pan. The idea of uh, old timers being brought into TNA. Yeah. And he goes, like, they want me to come out and basically make up for the fact that Scott Hall no showed us and the fans all boo. Mm. And Kevin Ash just looks really annoyed. Get off you go, I think he was part of the reason Hall got brought in and then he's fucking. Yeah. And then Joe. So it's a bit like, guys, do I come in here and turns to Nash, who's got at this point got white hair? Because mm. guys, do I just show up and collect their pension? <laughs> And apparently Nash apparently smacked Joe backstage after this. <laughs> and uh, he talked Doesn't about like it. being told the truth. No. But Joe like said about how all these guys like him and that who grafted and like tried to make TNA and he mm. brought out Eric Young as an example of the homegrown guys who like work hard and don't get like all the opportunities. Eric Young had left Team Canada and became this kind of plucky, really weird face. Mm. Kind of who always would shite himself whenever his own pyro went off. <laughs> Which was really funny. So, yeah, so Joe was on a run of being the champion, but again, for the third year in a row, Sting wins the title bound for glory by beating Joe. <laughs> now, that, out of all three of them, that was the one which was the most questionable, thinking like, yeah. even though obviously it's the biggest show of the year and also you want a title change, but Sting beating Joe is like 
but surely it would mean more for Joe to beat Sting. Most, no, I would say so. Mm-hmm. And Joe actually suffered quite an uh, took a really sick bump in that match, which all people credited for how years later, like slowing down, like yeah. wrestling wise, yeah. where they were fighting up in the rafters, and he did took a dive at Sting, and basically landed back first kind of across these like concrete steps, mm. which. Like, well, first off, it was also a stupid thing for Joe to do. Yeah. But, like... And, also, I think part of it is also that he's not as young as he used to be nowadays, but... Mm. Also, that couldn't have helped. And nowadays, he does seem a lot more injury-prone these days, so, which is a shame, which I think is part of the reason he's not been a world champion in WWE yet. Most, I don't actually see him being nah. a world champion in WWE. Maybe a tag champion? Maybe. You know, uh-huh. or a... A tag champion, or maybe at some point he could be an IC champion. Uh, well, he's had the US belt, and yeah. he didn't go anywhere. I think there were bills that maybe him and KO taking the tag belts from Rollins and Murphy, but I think maybe he's been suspended for 30 days for a wellness violation. With Joe? Aye. Mm. I think that plan, the plans might have been, I think more likely now the Street Profits will be the ones to take the belts of the Viking Raiders or some, like an actual team. I kind of hope it's not the Viking Raiders. Mm-hmm. Me not. I think the the best time to do it was probably either the feud with Kofi or the feud with AJ. Mm. Those are your two like big opportunities to take the belt, gain the belt, even just for a little while before dropping it back. But just yeah. to say that Joe has been WWE champion, mm. and if it was part of a longer story, I like people would mind the whole dropping it back. Although saying that, and I have lots of like a drawn story, mm. cool. But a lot of the time, I don't like that idea. Mm-hmm. I just putting a belt on somebody just because they are somebody. Yeah, I agree. No. I don't... I've, I've seen Joe in TNA mm-hmm. and whatnot, and I, he's always been a fantastic wrestler, mm-hmm. but I don't believe he's earned that particular product in WWE yet. Nah, I'm not And that's probably, like you say, through injury, also maybe through... I'm not really having an idea of how to go along that line mm-hmm. and put the belt on Joe. So if you hear like pages like there, like I said to Paul, I'm going back and forth between my notes from notes that I didn't get a chance to mention last time and notes that I noted down <laughs> like in the weeks between our last one. Anyways, yeah. Whilst I offer my brief opinion on Joe's WWE career and Munch on Kick. <laughs> like I like I mentioned how like in the initial like TNA like the early years, women weren't really doing anything up until like like Sakil Kim and Jackie came in, mm. and then also had like the awesome Kong and that. It would be two thousand and seven before we had an actual like women's championship or the uh, the TNA Knockouts title, yeah. as it would be known. I like that the idea that obviously not calling them like calling just calling it a women's title. Yeah. Also, also not doing. What they really did and calling it the divas or something like that. Cause, no, don't fuck up your women's division. Because knockouts can be like can go both ways in that. Yes, they're beautiful, but also they will kick fuck out of you. Yep. Which I think is a good thing. Uh, it's had a few different designs over the years, but I think the original one that they had longest was the best. I think the white version was kind of it looks like a crown on the top of it. It's also quite uh, small. I actually preferred like seeing the design they had just before the new one they've got now. Uh-huh. That was my favourite design for the knockouts title. What the and then the one they have now but black but uh, blue and silver or the The one that had the full plate on the front as opposed to like a section plate. Uh-huh. It looked a bit like the the big gold belt. A uh-huh. bit, you know? 
Alright, well, you're a fair can't really remember that because the things changed once or twice yeah. through the years, so I'll take your word for it. We talked about the thing in the last episode, the whole the first one, the proper one too, was starting to be like Jackie v. Gail Kim. Yeah. And the whole thing that woman had that scene saying women can't wrestle or some shit like that. Yeah, well, that is bullshit. And then uh, Biz- I remember, I'm sorry, cut in. Sorry. But I recall, because uh, I only got into TNA mm-hmm. a, few, a good few years ago now, right? Mm-hmm. When they were on Challenge TV. Yeah. And I was like, oh, right. I was like, kind of got into it around about the sort of charismatic enigma era. Uh huh. You know, Jeff Hardy was a weird title belt and shit. <laughs> and his feuds with like Austin Aries and yeah. whatnot. But women's wrestling in TNA at the time had two things. Yeah, the women that were wrestling were, for want of a better terminology, they were smoking hot, mm-hmm. you know. But they could fucking kick ass. And Gail Kim, a lot of the time, was at the centre of that. Yeah. And going into the knockouts Conklin match that they had at uh, Benfogori 07 which is crowned the first champion yeah. the really only two winners were her or Awesome Kong yeah. and what I loved is Awesome Kong comes in number four and they, they give her those weird like Godzilla or Jurassic Park style that like start to engine the doom yeah, and it's the whole thing where all three women who were in the ring at the time just did a stop and just slowly turned like oh shit oh shit here comes awesome Kong yes but also Gilkim would eventually be the the champion she would kind of the main feud would be between her and Kong for the first wee while and then Kong would win the title from her and go on this dominant run am I right Uh, didn't Gilkim leave WWE last time in a most unusual fashion yeah, in that battle royal. Yeah, cause she came back and either ended she didn't start two thousand nine, but she was again quite happy. She suddenly looked and realised that she made a mistake coming back. Yeah, I think it was the May twenty five battle she eliminated herself and just walked off. Uh, yeah, because she, I, th- I don't think she liked the state of the women's division at the time at all. Yeah, because the women because they did a kick rock concert before the women's match. And that ran over, so basically women had to come out while he was still performing. Yeah, yeah. And then, But weirdly, I think she stayed around for another year and a bit, though, after that. Yeah, that's a weird thing. Maybe, maybe it was a contract thing she couldn't get out of. Or yeah. Whatever. Or maybe they just kept her in just for spite. <laughs> well, that, do you know? I could, I could see that being a thing. So, like, Gotham Kong was on the stone run. It didn't seem like anybody can beat her. Uh, they did the thing with a woman called Taylor Wilde who yeah. started off as a, a flat fan in the crowd, what allegedly yeah. she would get challenged often would make these weekly challenges Taylor Wilde would come in, would make would answer the challenge coming out of the crowd, get easily beaten but kept coming back yeah. and got a week until she eventually beat Kong for the title but it was kind of a sad thing with Taylor Wilde where I think she left in 2010 and one of the main reasons she gave for leaving was apparently she was still working her day job yeah. while Knockout's champion because a lot of the women like around Gail I think Christy Hemi was for a long time the highest paid woman on the roster for and she barely wrestled like yeah. she got involved in a few multi-women matches but she mainly either valid or for a while did ring and like she was being paid way more than like Gail Kim I think who was actually I think wrestling like, like around Hundred the hundred thousand dollar mark was what Christy Hemi was being paid. It was quite steep for someone who's like you say, basically ring announcing mm-hmm. or valeting. I can't remember what the thing was, but like at highest, even the highest amount that Gil Kim was being paid for that first run yeah. was still nowhere near what Christy <laughs> Hemi was being paid. So Taylor Wilde's doing her day job at working at Sunglasses Hut or something like that. Yeah, and apparently one day she's serving somebody, and the person just says to her, 
Yeah, I knew that. I knew the knockouts champion. <laughs> and apparently, she just felt like so embarrassed. God. For someone just noticing her for being a wrestler and her day job, but she basically left TNA and basically just walked away from wrestling in general. That's really quite sad. Uh, it's kind of sad. But now you'd think you'd think like maybe she would have fought her corner and said, "Look, I'm the champion. You should be paying me the money that I don't need to be doing this day job." You know, like you're pay- you're like you're paying a fucking ring announcer more money than your champion. What the hell's the deal with that? I know, like. Another answer would be like, yes, but then we've seen this guy who was in, T- was in WWE for all of two weeks just became available. We need an extra 100,000 spare to sign this person. Who's that? Well, nobody, but I'm just giving that as an example. Yeah. Given that it seemed like they would hire basically anybody who once worked in WWE, they hired uh, Davari, came yeah. in for a while, or he, he, thinking the whole terrorist implications towards the end of his room with Man Missani. I think that was bad. They brought him in and called him Sheikh Abdul Bashir. Jesus. Maybe as we call them Foreigner McEvil <laughs> Foreigner McEvil No it's not the 80s No Oh I can't believe I'm talking about this I can't believe this is an actual thing Come on Speak out Davari's theme song in TNA The opening of it You hear a sound of a plane flying And then a And then it goes into his music That is He's poor, the song, poor taste. His song starts with a plane crash sound effect. That is poor ass taste. Who, whose bright idea was that? Dixie's per chance? Probably Russo's. I have to imagine it was probably Russo's. Good. What the hell were TNA thinking higher than that mad fuck? I know. You know? Well, apparently one a random WWE employee that once hired, but apparently actually worked quite well. That in the mid two thousands, their uh, production like for like pre like opening video packages for. Pay-per-views actually went up because they hired a guy who's a production guy in yeah. WWE who apparently was responsible for a lot of the uh, black and white Freddie Blassie yeah, openings. Yeah. Like, he apparently did one with Freddie Blassie and any lad apparently was so good that it made Vince cry. Mm. Apparently he left WWE in like 2 because he wasn't happy with how the company was going. Yeah. Went backpacking for a year and when he came back he had, he had a message from someone who worked at TNA. <laughs> So, like, in the mid-2000s, he comes in and suddenly the production value for their, like, promos goes up. Yeah. And they hire this very dramatic voice guy who was called uh, Barry Scott, not the sell-it man. Hi, <laughs> I am Barry Scott. <laughs> Bang, and the dirt is gone. Bang, and the match is over. <laughs> but no, it was a guy called Barry Bang, Scott. and you've got Vince Russell. <laughs> he went... He, uh, the guy called Barry Scott, who was very dramatic, like, he talked like this. <laughs> Inside. Jack and Cade was having a really that's, bad day. That is basically why we sounded like <laughs> inside the six sides of steel. <laughs> <laughs> that's basically his voice. Like Fraser doing a dramatic monologue. Yes. <laughs> uh, so in 2008, uh, depending on your, your view, some people who watched it at the time really fondly remember this. Right. Uh, in 2008, we would get the faction known as the Main Event Mafia. Ah. Initially, Sting was a part of it before leaving and ended up uh, freedom. Partly it was because he left because of control issues between him and Angle. Like both wanted yeah. to be leader. It was Sting, Kurt, uh, Scott Steiner, Kevin Nash, and Booker T. I think one of the most thing, famous things Kevin, uh, Scott Steiner did around this time as part of the group was they had an issue with Samoa Joe, and uh, Scott Steiner hated Samoa Joe. So in a sit down interview with the main event mafia, he started shouting and bawling about. Samoa Joe and that fat son of a bitch and like Scott calm down just as a pause and he shouts he's fat <laughs> I don't care I'll make him bleed 
like, there's, a, there's, a, there's an episode of Dina where it seems like the main event mafia take over because Booker and Kevin Nash go on commentary yeah. and uh, Scott Steiner's the ring announcer and he just opens it like white trash and rednecks you're opening contest <laughs> and he, he struggles to uh, pronounce certain people's names like there's a female wrestler called Sojo Bolt or something like that yeah. and he has difficulty pronouncing like Sojo Bolt Sojo <laughs> and uh, like P. Williams going to from that cesspool you call Canada <laughs> although P. Williams are actually start teaming with Skyner and basically dressing out like him became Little Petey Pump <laughs> Little Petey Pump and Petey would be there for I could, I could only imagine how that would have worked I've seen Petey Williams he, he, he couldn't uh, pull off that I know like yeah, Kevin sorry Jay Lethal got away with pretending to be Macho Man and then but they couldn't get away with him doing Scott Steiner no. and they couldn't get away with uh, one thing when randomly Shark Boy started pretending to be Stone Cold Ugh. and saying give me a shell yeah came out with the vest and apparently, I found it interesting about he'd been Shark Boy since like the late nineties, like yeah. ninety nine. So he he went out and trademarked the name Shark Boy, and then the early two thousands they came out this film from Merrimax called The Adventures of Shark Boy and Lavago, yeah. and he apparently got a big settlement from that I for using the that. name Shark Boy. And apparently he started not doing indies because he didn't need to because of the amount of money he got from <laughs> from that lawsuit. Also, Always handy to trademark your name. <laughs> And uh, apparently, when he did the whole like can thing, is he'd take to what were maybe uh, tins of chum or something like that instead of beer cans because he's a shark. Yes. But then someone pointed out to me. I don't know why I didn't question this before. Some I listened to a review of a teenager like sharks don't have shells. And he goes, "Give me a shell, yell." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sharks don't have shells. Hey, wait a minute. You're not a shark at all. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's a phony. <laughs> He's a big fat phony. Yeah. Hey, you're not a shark at all. <laughs> There's no Angus MacLeod in North Kiltel. You're not from Scotland at all. Oh, but in two thousand eight. Uh, Jeff Jarrett got sent home for a while for being a dick. Well, no, because it was it came out that uh, he was having an affair with Karen Angle. Ah, because uh, well, I, like, just, he, I just figured it was like the South Park thing. <laughs> Jeff, you're a dick. <laughs> well, like, apparently a like, year or so earlier, he's, Jeff's wife, first wife, had uh, passed away, yeah. and he uh, found out about having the affair with Aunt Karen. But then he he came back and he started doing this thing on screen where Jeff had to earn his way back into the company ah. and had him like working concessions, mopping the toilets. And there was a random vignette of him doing this weird MMA gimmick where he's teaching martial arts or junior MMA to these kids <laughs> and you see him putting ankle locks and tapping out five-year-olds. <laughs> which sounds, which is funnier than I'm making it sound. Yeah. It's just saying that he's tapping out five-year-olds makes it seem very seedy, I imagine. It does. Mm-hmm. And, and part of this main event mafia thing, Booker T would debut the TNA Legends Championship. Oh, goody. Do you, are you aware of the Legends Championship? Mildly. Mildly oh. aware of that. I, I, took no, I took no notice of it, though. It seemed a silly concept to me. Hold on, I'll get to... I have images here somewhere. I had it. I had like images saved of all the, uh, the championships I wanted to do, talk this about. Is like to... your online version of your notes. Yeah, like I want to give you like, an image of it just to... Like, just to like uh, give a context to it, so I'm sure all of you guys, but all you know what this, remember this belt. I like the look of it because mainly because it was red and that. Yeah. 
the uh, TNA Legends Championship. Oh, that does actually look quite nice. It, it wasn't technically a sanctioned title by TNA. That's maybe how that's maybe how the WWE title should look. Maybe instead of looking shit like it does, <laughs> like or like he would defend it once or twice, but it wasn't deemed as a sanctioned title. It's kind of like uh, the like, million dollar belt. Yeah, I was going to say like the million dollar belt. But eventually it would become sanctioned after... The one, early, the one and only title that Virgil ever won. In early 2009, AJ Styles basically stole the title from Booker. <laughs> and Booker was so desperate, like he was threatening to call the FBI to get his belt back. And uh, they put, he defended the belt against AJ at Destiny next. That was his stipulation, like, I'll give you it back if you give me a title shot. Mm. And the belt became sanctioned, and AJ won the title, and eventually became a Grand Slam champion, because now there's another belt that can be defended, and he's won it. Yeah. And then he would lose it a couple months later to Kevin Nash. Oh, right. Yes, that plucky youngster. That plucky youngster, yes, who has the, the worst quads in the business. Oh, this this title in general, this Legends belt, has had a few different names over the years. Oh, go on. And it has one of the weirdest histories ever. But I'll come back to that in a second. Okay. But, but yeah, there was a point where after Sting left... Uh, Joe joined them for some reason even though the whole point was there's going to be these established veterans yeah. coming together and Joe uh, actually just helped hand the belt to Angle because they were doing a, a kind of event match where Joe was on one side Angle's on the other Joe had the belt yeah. and handed it to Angle <laughs> and he just like put it on the on the top of the hook or whatever it was yeah. and at one point they held like all the gold like Joe I think held the exhibition belt Angle had the world belt Nash had the legends belt and Booker and Scott Slayer became the tag champs <laughs> and at one point Taz became an unofficial member of the Mafia he was the manager for Joe uh-huh. and then would fill in for Don West on commentary because Don West would do this weird shoot angle with Don West <laughs> and then Amazing Red would come back and win the exhibition title and Don West would serve as his manager for a while <laughs> or his agent or whatever he called himself yeah. Uh, before going back into like basically the marketing department and try to go back into sales for TNA, which is where Don West originally came from, which is why he's good at seeing so loud because he's always trying to sell you stuff like buy this shit. <laughs> Look at this random TNA T-shirt. The design's crap, but buy it, buy it buy now, it, buy it now. I'll leave the bit in Bunny's and buy it. <laughs> uh, buy it, buy it, buy it, buy it. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, TNA tried to do this faction called the Frontline. Top of the roo, 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 roo range TNA t-shirt. <laughs> Buy it. There was a, like, t- the TNA Frontline, which is basically a random collection of baby faces from TNA. There were maybe all the homegrown guys fighting against the main event mafia, but never really fully got their comeuppance against the, gave the main event mafia their yeah. comeuppance. And then randomly XRE guys like the Dudleys and would join them. Like, so you're not really the front line of TNA, are you? No. So basically, the whole idea was pointless. Yeah, the TNA diddies with your WWE horns. Uh, Matt Morgan tried to join, and Kurt basically just used <laughs> Matt Morgan in his own gain. Yeah. And Matt Morgan's like, I'm not your typical like giant, I'm actually a smart guy, I can see through your bullshit. <laughs> and he probably should have eaten Kurt Angle when they had that match at Benford Glory 09, but Angle, some reason, won. Yeah. There was a, there, I think you're maybe familiar with the faction, the female faction in TNA called the Beautiful People. Um, yeah, I've heard uh, of that Madison one. Rain, Velvet Sky, and Angela were the original group. They were one of the few like actual like groups in the women's division. So when they brought in the TNA Knockouts tag titles, yeah, which were these really crap looking small red <laughs> oval belts, yeah, it seemed like well, this is just a vehicle for the Beautiful People. But then they didn't. The few people weren't the first champions. I can't even remember who the first champions. Well, it was basically a weird thrown together team that were the team, yeah. and they just waited a while before giving it to the beautiful people. 
and then doing kind of a free bird style thing. So I think it was a case of we don't want to make it too obvious. Yeah. And belts kept getting either vacated or because or somebody or a team would win the titles would then barely be used on TV. So mm. they said, well, so and so would refuse to defend the belt. So now it's vacant again. We're having a new chance, sir. <laughs> Obviously, used as kind of a joke because uh, the motorcycle machine guns when they officially formed, they came out on commentary one time and said that they were said how they were supposed to get a tag title shot but I hadn't heard anything like oh so if we're not getting a shot at the TNA tag titles I must mean we're the number one contenders for the knockouts tag titles so we're here scouting our competition so they were sitting there for a beautiful beautiful like tag match and they had they had a, a box of tissues on the belt on the <laughs> thing and just kept making crude jokes during the match <laughs> you know no, apparently the motorcycle machine guns for a while were maybe called the murder city machine guns <laughs> And for a while, they were annoyed that they got like toned down to be called the Motor City Machine Guns. Mm. Uh, and also, they used to do a thing where they would point kind of at the palm of their hand, and apparently, the uh, Michigan or as the state of Detroit's in, uh, they kept the same shape, kind of like a hand in that. And uh, the point of the palm of their point is where uh, Detroit is, which is the Motor City, which is where they're from. Uh, so, so basically, right. if this was the map, they were pointing at the point where their hometown would be. This is where we live. <laughs> which. It's not immediately a clear thing though. When I've explained it to you like that, yeah. then it's clear. If they come out and are randomly pointing at their oh, hand what? and they come and they come to you don't feel the need to explain it, then you're thinking, why is he so fascinated with his own hand? Because I look, it's my hand. This is where it is. It's <laughs> of my wrist. Hand. Hand. Point. Hand. Hand. <laughs> Hands and faces. Hands and faces. We talk about uh, worst champions in TNA I actually I was on an ESSR show where we talked about worst world champions and this was one of the examples I used in 2009 Sting won the, was the champion again Yeah. after beating Joe at well, uh, Beverly Glory 2008 and he would lose it at lockdown 2009 to Mick Foley <laughs> Mick Foley who three years after this would be told by a doctor you cannot wrestle ever again you cannot legally ever ensure you to wrestle your body is that fucked yeah and three years earlier, he is winning TNA's top title. Yeah. And a feud against Sting. And would hold on to it for a further two months. Before losing it too? And go, and that aforementioned King of the Mountain match. Ah. But, well, I want to talk about the period I'm in between that, where it was the stupidest fucking thing. I looked it up because it was research for that previous show that I mentioned, that I mentioned mm. Foley's reign for. Uh, sacrifice was between the two people was in the middle of uh, Foley's reign and there would be a four way ultimate sacrifice match where if you pinned Foley mm-hmm. you get the title if Sting got pinned he had to retire if you pinned Angle you got to be leader of the main event mafia and because Jeff Jarrett was the founder of TNA you got to control TNA if you <laughs> pinned Jeff Jarrett right and Sting won the match by pinning Kurt Angle ah so basically they've made out that the leadership of the main event mafia was more important to Sting than winning back his title that he'd lost the previous month. Yeah. Or even, if you're not going to pin the champion, pin Jarrett. And take control of the company. company. And then you can give yourself a title shot, as many title shots as it takes for you to get the title. Yeah. Like, <sighs> and then Foley may have entered the next pay-per-view after <laughs> after Slamversa when Angle won the title victory road against Angle and then lost. At that same pay-per-view where they won basically all the titles. Sorry, I was a bit of a one that I remembered it. Don't mind, I can't remember it. If I forgot this. Go on. At Victory of 2009, possibly what has been talked about as 
one of the worst matches ever. Right. Not just in wrestling. But just ever. Not just in TNA, but just ever. In history of wrestling as a ever. concept. I'd maybe even had to argue anything worse than we, we had to talk about in that punishment podcast we did. Oh. Yes. Well, that bad, huh? Mm-hmm. Well, let me talk about it. Hit me with it. Go on. Now, in 2009, I believe it was, it came out, Kurt Angle, a film came out called Endgame, which starred Kurt Angle. Okay. As basically as a mental case. I've seen, okay. some, I've seen some clips from in the film. It looks properly mental. Where he's talking this woman, this stripper woman who's like the wife or girlfriend of an officer who's looking into him. So he's a proper like psycho in it. But he's also not a very good actor in it either. Near is this woman. Okay. This woman's name was Jenna Maraska. Who was okay. who was a model, not much of an actress, and was most certainly not a wrestler. <laughs> so in 2009, on pay-per-view, Jenna Maraska has a match with Charmel. Oh, Okay. So Charmel comes out and basically weirdly in a big dress where bits of it keep get falling off. So there are bit weird bits of blue dress all over the ring. Okay. Jenna she Mar- wrestled in this dress. Yes. Sure. Uh, Jenna Maraska comes out and is basically dressed like a stripper. Does this weird what's meant to be sexy entrance, which is basically maybe kind of like Melina's split entrance, but she's going between the mid- the middle and bottom rope, basically showing her. Big shot of her arse right in the camera. <laughs> and then it just cuts to a big close-up of Charmel going like, like Facebook and like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. And what I heard once somebody describe the, the slaps that killed women's wrestling <laughs> that happened because uh, Sarah Masco was in the corner and... Oh. Come on, put it out. <laughs> Sorry, this is just so bad. It's I funny. know it. I know people, people look up this I encourage you to listen to look up the, the at least a gif of this I'm going to try and act, act out or empty ball to try and showcase how bad this looks are so Jen Maraskis in the corner she's starting her maybe starting her big comeback against Charmel okay and she starts decides to hit some slaps these are what the slaps look like yeah 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 okay. the weakest looking slaps like yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like when you see two kids trying to hit each other in the back of the mm. car who are and the dad needs to turn around and shout at them. Like, that's what they look like. They barely made they're the weakest looking things. That's it. Back to Winnipeg. Yeah, that was basically <laughs> it. Uh, this match is famous for being voted by Brian Alvarez minus five stars. Wow. And re- so who, who eventually won this fantastic match? Jenna Marasco won the match thanks to a throat chop to Charmel uh, delivered by Awesome Kong on the outside. Oh, Okay. And, and then did Je- anything transpire from this match? I don't believe it did. But then Jim Raska then basically was she's meant to look, try and look sexy. Lord basically lowered herself onto Charmel with basically her fanny right in her face as she was pinning her, <laughs> and was meant to be look sexy. But somehow the way she was doing it made it look like the least sexiest thing of all time. Just looking sleazy and gross. She's like I've been I've officially been put off sex for life possibly. <laughs> I was going to move on to talk about some stuff that McFoley did later that year, but like I just remembered Victory Road on nine and that match. Like, yeah. Like I've often thought we should do like maybe shows like covering bad pay per views only once every so often. Yeah. There's only so much bad wrestling you can handle, especially after that punishment podcast we did. <laughs> and one of the ones I wanted to do was either Victory Road on nine or Victory Road to this and eleven, which we'll get to. Yeah. TNA had a bad run of Victory Roads, didn't they? <laughs> they did. But and I think after I've explained that match to you, I think. I don't even know if I've done the best job. You need to actually see this. this. So a couple of pathetic no-slaps and a fanny plant, basically. Yeah. 
I'll I might show you a clip of it after this because it has to be seen to be believed. <laughs> so after this pay per view, uh, Mick Foley, you think he's won the top title? Maybe if he's, ah. if he's gonna wrestle now, he's lost the top title. He's gonna wrestle. Maybe he should put up, put over <laughs> up and coming guys. No, he, uh, uh, Impact tape and post Victory Road. He beats Kevin Nash for the Legends title. Oh. And then he drops it back to him at the next pay-per-view. <laughs> and the whole partly the whole feud was about what is bigger what's more important wrestling championships or money. <laughs> and guess who was what for which side on that debate? Uh Foley was championships, Nash was money. Ding 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 ding. Guess what, Paul? You don't win anything, but you got it right. Um <laughs> I can roll a cigarette. Yay! Yay. You win. What do I win? Another beer. <laughs> <laughs> I like that competition. <laughs> so, yeah, so, this, so for a while it was like, oh yeah, maybe we'll have this thing where the legend title can be defended amongst actual legends. That didn't last for very long. <laughs> so, not only did uh, AJ lose the title at Victory Road to Nash, he was then kicked off the next pay-per-view where Nash beat Foley for the title. Yeah. And then the pay-per-view after that, no surrender 2010, AJ wins the TNA title. <laughs> Finally, the title feels is put on somebody who's actually important, who should, well, not important, but someone who's actually homegrown and could benefit from it. So he wins the title, and it happened in a weird way because uh, it was maybe a four way. It was Matt Morgan v Kurt Angle versus Thing and AJ, yeah. and then Hernandez, formerly of LAX, had a. Oh, we haven't talked about Feaster fired. We have not. He I was a, wondering when you were going to get to Feast of Fire. I think the first thing time I have with week 07, like, yeah, thinking, what's better than a Money in the Bank briefcase? Four Money in the Bank briefcases. <laughs> one for a, a TNA title shot, one for an X Division title shot, one for a, a tag title shot, and yeah. one means one's a pink slip in it, which means you're fired. <laughs> uh, Christopher Daniels got fired in kayfabe. But all the while he was still wrestling, either under the mask of suicide, I would go between him and Kazarian for a while playing that character. Yeah. Or when he wasn't playing suicide, he was Curry Man. Curry Man. Yes. Fantastic. I know. So, how do how do we come up with these things? But uh, Hernandez from LX had previously won a world title shot in that briefcase, so he uh, wanted to cash it in on that. And, and made it, made a part of that match, made it a five way, and then he just for the first couple of months proceeds to murder Kurt Angle while everyone just stands back and watches, <laughs> and then he gets cost. He spun the match with a pedal driver on the ramp by Eric Young who turned heel. Yeah, and then it came down to thing. I think it hit a Scorpion Death Drop on Angle. He looked at AJ and went and just looked at him and went, "It's your moment" or something like that. Yeah, Dove on the outside to take out Morgan. AJ hits a springboard four fifty on Angle and pins him. <laughs> And it was a big moment like they had people coming in the ring holding up AJ confetti and all that coming down. Yeah. He beat Sting at Bound for Glory uh, that year and what was billed as possibly that this is Sting's final match if he loses. <laughs> he came back a few months later. Yeah. Uh, and then he went on to turning point where he would have a, a rematch with eight, with Christopher Daniels and Samoa Joe this time for the world title where Matt Daniels... This is Sting, right? No. Uh, styles like they right, famous. Right. Like I thought about their famous to use a triple threat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now is a case of now all saying they're fine, but for the world title now. And Daniels did it the best insult ever on Joe. Went for the pin, but AJ broke up with a springboard four fifty <laughs> and broke and got the pin. 
around this time they were teasing somebody's attacking AJ. I don't know if it was who I think it was either Joe or Angle it was revealed to be, I can't remember. Yeah. But he accused Daniels at one point and Daniels was angry, saying that AJ wasn't a true friend to him. And like, I've always been a better friend to you and April of getting fired and Feaster fired and went like where were you when I needed you when I got fired? Yeah. So then that would lead to a match between those two at turning point sorry, final resolution two thousand and nine, which AJ won. Ah. Uh-huh. Now, Eric Young turning heel, he was basically a knockoff Chris Jer- heel Chris Jericho where now he's dressed in a suit, he's he cut his hair, he was talking very slowly. Yeah. And he started a faction, because he's from Canada, he started a faction called the World Elite. Which is basically like a shit version of the Un-Americans, which were already quite a shit. Yeah. Basically, you had the British Invasion, which was Doug Williams, Magnus, now Nicole, this is the current NWA champion, and roided out freak from Wales, Rob Teddy. You had Sheik Bashir. Uh, who else did you have? I think you might have had Homicide in there for a while. Ooh. Basically, it was just all the foreigners together. That was it, all the foreign heels <laughs> together. And they went and they had a brief feud with the Mayavit Mafia for a while. They, he was in a feud with Hernandez because Hernandez wouldn't join the group. Yeah. And uh, Bound for Glory, he, he was about to have a triple threat match with Nash and Hernandez. And then he made Kevin Nash out to be the biggest fucking idiot in the world where he convinced Nash, you know what, why don't we make this for your Legends belt where we can beat up Hernandez and you'll keep your belt. And then, yeah. big surprise, Eric Young turned on Kevin Nash and took the belt. <laughs> and do you know how he did it? Kevin Nash was going to go for the uh, Jack Knife one, but then Young grabbed uh, and used him as a batter ram into the bollocks <laughs> of Kevin Nash and then pinned Nash. <laughs> and then, the, not the, the first but not the last rebranding of this title, the title would then be called the Global Championship, not the oh. Legends belt anymore. Nerf Young would hold on to that for a while before losing it at a Wales Live event to Rob Teddy. We don't hold on to it for far too long and have crap matches with Orlando Jordan and <laughs> Magnus. Uh, where he basically he would basically squash people to make up for the fact that he couldn't wrestle long matches because he was a very bad wrestler. Ah. He held on before losing it to AJ Styles with the help of Kazarian, where AJ pinned him and then and Kazarian held the the, the leg. And yeah, done a Bobby Heenan against Warrior. Mm-hmm. And after that, we will be rounded again. This time, it's the television championship. Oh. Because Styles and Kazarian were part of a group led by Ric Flair. But we'll get to them in a little bit. <laughs> uh, we talk, we briefly mentioned the uh, TNA video game, didn't we? Not really much no, to say. Well, we did. Well, not really much to say. We brought it out. It was what it was. Yeah. The end. That is pretty much the best way to describe this it was what it was it was what it was which was not very good we end oh so I mentioned Stephen Richards had a TNA run as a Dr. Stevie who's this uh, head of he's a guy Dr. County Help Abyss who uh, Abyss went into this insane asylum for a while he would for a while come out in in an all white kind of jumpsuit kind of thing and would would be in this feud with uh, Stevie Richards twirl, which was basically just a three, random series of hardcore matches most of which Abyss won yeah. before beating uh, Mick Foley in a monster's ball at Brown Fuggle which is pretty cool uh, oh you, remember <coughs> the, you know the Deaners and Current Impact yeah yeah I like the Deaners one of the, one of the guys, seen them for a while uh, Cody Dean I believe his name is actually had a brief run in TNA back in 2009 as the redneck boyfriend of ODB <laughs> god 
who, who Good guy. And they did this weird thing where it was against the beautiful people. I think, I can't remember if it was Angelina Love or Madison Rain. I think it was Angelina Love won the title because Madison Rain slept with the referee in order for the referee to be biased in favour of Angelina Love. Cool. So Angelina is the champion. It was saying a beautiful people uh, tag match against Cody Deaner and ODB when the knockout title is on the line. Now Cody Deaner gets the pin and ODB gets the belt and celebrates assuming because she's a woman, yeah. she is the champion. Cody Deaner attacks her and <laughs> takes the belt away and basically claims that he's the champion but officially the belt between men and the next few of you is declared as vacant and they decide we're going to have a match Cody Deaner versus ODB for the Knockouts Championship <laughs> and she proceeds to batter the shit out of him yeah. and win the title because she should because she's a woman so ODB holds the title for a while I think she trades it back and forth with Tara for a while the former Victoria mm. who was at, at the time I get was another big TNA sign for the women's division yeah because I think during this time, Gail Kim and Les, I think she and ODB were slotting into the slot that Awesome Kong and Gail Kim yeah. occupied for a while. Awesome Kong left, I think, in 2010, basically because of backstage issues with uh, Bubba the Love Sponge, <laughs> who's a pal of Hulk Hogan, who's a not nice guy. Yeah. I believe it was him who filmed Hogan having sex with Bubba's wife and that tape that Lovely. got Hogan fired and basically made very racial, made racial comments towards... Uh, Towards Awesome, awesome Kong, Kong, and she received to batter him for it. <laughs> Apparently, she appeared on his radio show, and he he made some. Uh, he basically called her a black bitch, I think, at one point. Yeah, and he made a joke, a comment about slavery or some crap like that. Yeah. So yeah, he's a piece of shit. That bubble of sponge. Yeah. For some reason, he got he managed to get on TV for a while in 2010. How would he get on TV? You would ask. Go on. I mean, would it could it be with the impending arrival of Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff? Oh goody. Yes, we've arrived, Paul. There's nothing else. I know there's random bits that happen within TNA in 2008, 2009, but I think we can't print that answer anymore. We need to get to 2010. Yeah, with Hulk Hogan, be the only good thing being from his whole TNA run was his T-shirt. <laughs> because if I remember rightly, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, if I'm remembering this differently, but I believe at one point he had a, a white Hulk Hogan t-shirt, like a white and blue with TNA colours. I think it yeah, that was, one of, his, had, that was one of his last shows. It had like a Hogan bandana and a skull. Yeah. And I thought, you know, that looks pretty cool, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was like so, it was like a t-shirt that was some way in character between Hollywood and Hulk, like, yeah, like Hulk, Hulk Hogan, you know? Now, <clears throat> Eric Bischoff did an episode on his podcast about signing for TNA. Yeah. Where the majority of it is him talking about the tour he and Hulk did the year before where the main events of the tour across Australia was Hogan versus Flair. Yeah. Now, mind you, this is a year after Hogan, after Flair's big emotional, I'm yeah, sorry, I yeah. love your retirement with Sean. Basically, it was a case of Flair used to live the gimmick. He, he created a big amount of debt. He needs to keep working. So, yeah. after retirement, he comes. Oh, goody. He comes yeah. to TNA. Oh no, he originally it was just an independent tour oh, him and Hogan. And, just so he could make some money. And then through their TNA kind of approach Hogan. And, we'll give you money. And basically what Bischoff's role was, he was uh, helping the promotion, promotion side of uh, yeah. the tour. And basically he described himself what he was becoming at the moment was basically what Jimmy Hart was for Hogan back in the day where he was yeah. the actual like, manager arranging shit for Hogan in that. And apparently when TNA came and Hogan called Bischoff saying he was worried about, because Russo was involved and the last time Russo and Hogan worked together was at uh, 
work shoot at Bash of the Beach 2000, so yeah. he was worried that the deal they were going to they were going to somehow try and screw him. He didn't trust Russo, so he wanted Bischoff to come in and help him out, be his kind of middleman. And so he basically came to negotiate the deal for Hogan. He had no intention of going to TNA, yeah. but then TNA offered him a position as well. So basically he could get a job in like creative and also be there to help out Hulk. Because Hulk's official role, even though he's appeared on TV, uh, he was he was I think credited as a creative consultant, I think it was. <laughs> so they come in, they make a big announcement, big press conference. Yeah. And Shades uh, of WCW, anyone? Yeah. <laughs> and the big the big announcement, TNA is moving to Monday nights. Now they have a trial of it on the January fourth, two thousand and ten. Yeah. Now what's funny is WWE on that same role that they had Hogan and like Flair made his debut then on the on Raw that same night. That was yeah. the night where Bret Hart made his first appearance on Raw in the years and he made up with Sean and they did the thing with Vince where Vince yeah, kicked him in the nuts. Up. Yeah. <laughs> made up, yeah, that really happened. Yeah, the the show on January fourth where they occasionally did this thing in TNA where they did the uh the Terra Dome match or whatever the cage asylum where this big yeah. red bird cage looking thing with a hole in the top that we get the guys were fighting to get out of this hole. Yeah. Which is a perfect metaphor for the X Division around that time. <laughs> also, there was a trouble there, I think it was Kazarian, uh, Joel and Scott Steiner, a pay-per-view and Kazarian earned his shot in that trouble third by winning that match. Yeah. I believe that's the same pay-per-view where Scott Steiner cuts that infamous uh, Steiner mass promo. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, talking about the loser, you got a 33 and a third percent chance. <laughs> but I'm a, uh, also, by around this time, I think it's fitting because of all the T- X3 guys we were getting, TNA's new slogan became Cross the Line. <laughs> Where I think it was maybe for fans who were sick of WWE to come out over to TNA, but really just saying like an invitation to anybody who used to work for WWE to come yeah, out. Come on, on. We'll pay you. Can you still go? Doesn't matter. We'll still got money for you. Yeah. You're so, a name. So, obviously, Flair shows up around this time, the Nasty Boys get a run in TNA. Yeah. And they go into this feud with Team 3D. You notice, you notice how all this starts to happen around about the time Hogan comes in, though? Mm-hmm. Hogan comes in, then Flair comes in, <laughs> when the Nasty Boys come in. And then they change from six-sided ring to a four-sided ring. Yep. And which leads to, on numerous occasions, fans chanting, we want six sides. Yep. Uh... Oh, right, as much as I don't like Jim Cornette, Jim Cornette did a good thing on his podcast where he was talking about the Hogan's first ever appearance on TNA, which is on that January fourth episode. Yeah, where uh, he comes at, he show him arriving at the arena, and then he comes at free promo. He goes, "You know, brother, I've been in the back all day talking to those guys back there." And Jim Cornette goes in focus. No, you fucking, and we just saw your car pull up. We know you just arrived. <laughs> but that weird terror dome match that basically Hogan. I think it's a match that's not meant to have DQs, but Homicide ends up getting DQ'd. Yeah. But basically, that, it doesn't matter about any of the guys in that match, because this match was set up for what happened after, where you hear this big boom, boom, like techno music, and yeah. then you hear a song called Modest Plane, which signalled their debut, or the re-debut, of Jeff Hardy, who returned ah. to TNA after being let go in late 2009, after a pretty really good, a really good feud with CM Punk. Yeah. Basically, being right, I don't take drugs. You've been suspended for taking drugs. <laughs> we are very different people. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like the line, Punk once said to Jeff Hardy, went, you know a lot about prescription meds, but I don't think you know you have to go to a doctor to get some. <laughs> Jeff Hardy comes to the, basically just attacks Homicide, who tries to attack him, and just climbs up that gate and just sits there and like, hey, I'm Jeff Hardy, I'm here. Yeah. 
And then they would officially go to Monday nights regularly on March 8th. Now, how long... I'm trying to make sure you don't look at my notes there. How long, looking. how long after March 8th do you think it took before TNA moved back to Thursday nights? Month. Close. March 8th, well, it moved to Monday nights opposite Raw. Officially moved back to Thursdays. Thursday, May 3rd. Oh. Like eight, ten weeks most. Yeah, so and, about, about two months. And how did they get, frame this sudden move back to Thursday nights? As we've heard our, we've listened to our fans who clamour for the return to Thursday nights. So we have listened to the fans and we'll be returning to Thursday nights. Which roughly translates as we have no chance of beating WWE on a Monday night. We'll mm. go back to Thursday. I want to talk about the January 4th one when they first went head to head before yeah. trying it like regularly. January 4th Impact initially drew uh, 3 million viewers, declined to 2.2 by the end of the show, mm. which was the high, probably the highest rating up until that point. Whereas Raw that night drew 5.6 million viewers, <coughs> which it was credited as the highest since August of the year prior. Mm. So it's their highest within a year, whereas it's probably at that point TNA's highest ever. Yeah. Which just goes to show how much of a big fuck-up that was. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Flair shows up in TNA and decides, I want a protege, I want somebody to manage, <laughs> somebody to become the next Ric Flair. And who does he choose? AJ Styles. Yep. You know, that wholesome Christian guy who's been with the same woman ever since high school, who's got happily married with three kids. It's <laughs> somebody meant to be the next nature boy who, re- who regularly cheated on his missus yep. and abandoned his kids. Totally. <laughs> and he I, came, could, I could see that. And he came out in a very crappy flair style robe. Yep. Uh, like, it didn't work at all. I think, <laughs> I think the first pay-per-view was 2010 at uh, AZ-20 against Kurt Angle, and that's when he officially turned heel and yeah. aligned with flair. It, it wasn't... It, you could tell it wasn't going to work. And then they formed Fortune, <laughs> which was... Uh, Kazarian, it's like him, Kazarian, and Beer Money, so four. In this, the opening line to the song is Fortune Four. Eventually, it gets six because they, they add Matt Morgan and Doug Williams later on. Yeah. Uh, Desmond Wolf tries to join, who is uh, Nigel McGuinness. Mm. Uh, tries to join, but then gets kicked out. Uh, also, you know the uh, the four, like famous four horsemen, something like the four? Yeah. Like that. Now. Obviously, the most blatant attempt to get her incorporated where instead of just the four like that, it's like, you take your hand as if you're making a five, you take the uh, one of your index fingers between your middle and your uh, mm-hmm. bottle finger, fold that in, and you get the shittiest looking four you've ever seen. That is the T- That was the fortune symbol. Yeah. Okay. Yes. It looks stupid. Yes, it was stupid. Right. And at one point, they, they tried to mix the uh, Fortune and Ric Flair theme songs by, at one point, including a... <laughs> in the background of the song, which didn't work at all. Yeah. So, like, I like the idea of Flair being kind of like the J.J. Dillon of a new, say, like, Four Horsemen. Like, they, they did a good version of that. It was called Evolution. Uh, I must say, the fact that we're, we say we're going to get to at least 2010 today, 2010 itself seems so hectic. Yeah. With everything going on, you know. Well, I talked about how we had Val Venus showing up for a while. Yeah. His most famous segment is playing strip poker with the beautiful people. <laughs> oh, like, TNA likes to, say, likes to say that, oh, we're not competing head-to-head with WWE, we're 
trying to be an alternative, and yet Hogan comes in there immediately trying to do another Monday Night War. Yeah. And on the first pay per view of, of uh, 2008, he comes on uh, pay per view with Bischoff, cuts this promo, hyping up the move to Monday Nights, looks directly down the camera and says, What are you going to do, Vince McMahon, now that TNA is coming for you? Mm. Like, oh, fuck off, Hogan. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh. One of the most famous stupid things Hogan did, amongst the many, yeah, is the angle he did with Abyss. Are you aware of this? <sighs> Go on. So Abyss went in this weird thing where he was suddenly afraid of everything. Yeah, I remember that He was afraid of his own shadow. So Hogan tried to boost his comments, get him back to being the monster again. Yeah. So how does he settle this problem? Gives Abyss his Hall of Fame ring. Yeah. Which they're implying has magic powers that'll suddenly fix all of Abyss's problems. Because yeah. all you need is Hulk Hogan's Hall of Fame ring to make you super. I know. Do you think you made him take his vitamins and say his prayers too? Probably. So Abyss starts being pushed as Hogan's chosen one and the fans rejected it immediately. Yeah. Because Desmond Wolfer mentioned was formerly Nigel McGuinness. He, he'd had some like serious injuries towards the end of his Ring of Honor run. He and Brian both went for tryouts for WWE. They were both going to get signed at the same time. Yeah. But they both had like histories of like concussions. The difference is Brian lied about his history and Nigel was honest. As a result, <laughs> Nigel didn't get hired and Brian did. So he went to TNA as Desmond Wolfe. He had a great series of matches with Kurt Angle. At the end of 2009, they had a three stages. At, it was kind of like a three stages of hell match or, three de- or he called it three degrees of pain. Yeah. It was a steel cage match. First fall pinfall, second fall submission, third fall escape the cage. And it was a really good series. But both of that, he failed to get into the fortune. He got this female manager called Chelsea. Right. And then he suddenly went into this feud where he wanted the Hall of Fame ring for some reason. <laughs> and he just repeatedly would get beaten by Abyss. And then they had a match where they put up, oh, he puts up the Hall of Fame ring. But what can McGuinness or Desmond Wolf put up with his equal value as Hulk Hogan's ring? Go on. The services of Chelsea. So, he, put, he bets an actual woman, an actual human, against the Hall of Fame ring. Because it's Brilliant. Hulk Hogan's ring, so both of them are of equal value. Yes. And he, big surprise, he lost that match. Now, people have speculated this was punishment for Wolf because they started doing a thing called the Top Contenders rankings. Yeah. Where everyone fans would vote on who they want to see get a World Title match and they had the Top 10 Contenders. Also, if you're number one, you're the next in line for a shot. Yeah. And... Uh, if you're number, like, if you're at the bottom, you kind of you, tr- you use it as guys try to work their way up the rankings, try to challenge other contenders. Yeah. And they'd have a monthly vote every month and reveal the top contenders. Now, obviously, they're pushing. They wanted a best to win the poll. Surely, yeah. he's a popular guy. He's backed by Hogan. Of course, the fans will vote for him. All these fans who are big into the indies and not really watch Ring of Honor, they vote for Desmond Wolfe. Yeah. Who gets beaten under ten minutes for the world title on TV? <laughs> and then next month, he wins again. But Hogan makes the rule, oh no, you, you can't win the poll two months in a row. Mm-hmm. So basically, forced Abyss into a World Title match, which he got at Des- Destination X 2010. He didn't win the title, but it went to no contest after he choked Slandy just through the ring. Ah. So it really helped nobody in that instance. Yeah. Also, I think they had a, might have had a tie match, Hogan and Abyss v Flair and Styles at mm. one point. Which is what you want to see. Ah, oh, totally. Like, I think there's an angle where Flair, for some reason, comes out in a wheelchair one week. <laughs> and Hogan just then grabs him by the behind by the wheelchair and just wheels him down the ramp. <laughs> uh, 
Sting would come back as a heel. No. And basically he would start talking in riddles, he would challenge for the title unsuccessfully. Yeah, it was against RVD, I'll get to him in a second. But uh, RVD came in as the champion, but then he was going around ringside. Yeah. And somebody in a sting mask punched him. <coughs> he takes the sting mask off. Who is it? Oh, sting. sting. And he's full face beat behind the mask. Yeah. So he was wearing a mask of himself. <laughs> 2010, man. Yeah. Oh, God. 2010 TNA. This is where TNA started becoming a joke, by the way. Mm-hmm. It really did. But... So, RVD came in uh, and quickly was pushed to the top to become the champion. Yeah. I think he came in, debuted in March. It might have been the first episode of, like, officially going to Mondays. And by May, he won the title from AJ mm-hmm. on TV. Like, he won the title shot from Hardy on episode Impact. By the end of the sh- that was actually first shot later in the show against Hart- and Styles. Mm-hmm. He won the title. He beat like the likes of uh, Styles. He beat, uh, I think, he beat Sting. Uh-huh. Uh, and then they had to have him vacate the title and they wrote him off. Either he got a t- savagely beaten by Abyss, who would start going a bit mental and turn heel again. Yeah. Uh, do you know why they had to get the title off him that way? Why? He had a, RVD had a select number of dates and they quickly blew through a lot of his dates ah. to by the point where they didn't have a lot of dates left for him for that year and he still had the title. Mm. So also they could, didn't want to waste one of those dates by having him come in and drop the belt. So they had it had him ne- technically never lose the belt. So, I mean, for the next two years after that, he went on this mission to get the belt back. They never <laughs> lost. And spoiler alert, he never got the belt back. Oh, well. There you go. Oh, also his music, by the way. Oh, basically this weird raw van down the whole fucking show. It's basically that over. Basically, I think that's his current theme now. Yeah, wait, I didn't realize if he still had that. Theme. Oh wait, no, he's he's changed it up again to some weird shit because he's a heel again. Mm-hmm. Or oh, they started with the whole fucking show, and then after a couple months, they changed it just to the whole effing show. Uh, I remember that. Oh, God. Fucking... That's a... So... <laughs> fucking... Again, I'll say it again. Fucking 2010, man. I know. I know. Uh, oh, you had barely able to walk Kevin Nash and Scott Hall winning the tag titles. Oh, fuck's sake. They, they'd reformed a thing with with uh, X-Pac or Six, who then left, and then Eric Young joined them. Yeah. They were called The Band. Oh, fantastic. And basically they came out to, basically, uh, you can't sue us, slightly tempo change, instrumental version of the Wolfpack theme song. Yeah. And Nash had won a Feaster Fired like, case for a tie title shot, but he held up for so long people forgot about it by the time he cast in. <laughs> and uh, Matt Morgan had split from his tag partner, Hernandez, mm. who, but he still had the tag, both tag belts, and said, I'm going to carry these by myself. <laughs> and then randomly, Samojo beat up Matt Morgan, left him laying, Kevin Ash came out, cashed in, Bill rang, Morgan stallied it, now slowly lowers himself to the mat, pins. <laughs> they had one successful defence, and then they vacate the belts, uh, which then led to motorcycle machine guns winning them, which was a good thing, because then they could go on a, a great series of matches, a team called Generation Me, yeah. Jeremy and Max Buck, who would go on to be the Young Bucks, who would then become the most successful tag team outside of WWE. Mm. And TNA, what they were doing with them is at one point they tried to split them up and make them singles guys. 
and they said in interviews like that was part of the reason they hated being in TNA because like they never wanted to break up. Yeah. So someone at TNA said, "Don't worry, we'll put you back together later on." And then their response was, "So what's the point in breaking us up then? Yeah, don't bring us up then, just to put us back together, just keep us together." But yeah, I'd I'd, look, I'd recommend looking up some of the, the matches they'd have with motorcycle machine guns. Let's see. God, there's so much that happened in 2010. That's why I talk about it. It's so stupid. Uh, so, yeah, RVD so, is the champion. So many, so many things in so little time. Oh. A bunch of ECW fucks showed up. <laughs> a bunch of random ECW. There was a French reformer called EV 2.0 or something <laughs> like that. You had Sandman, Foley, Dreamer, Rhino. All these guys came in, it seemed like, oh, ECW, these old ECWs might be invading Impact. Mm. And then they led to this big brawl with Impact guys, think, oh, this could be going somewhere. And then there was a big cliffhanger at the end of it, so where Six Carter went, no, it was me that invaded them here. Uh. Uh, it may be a big cliffhanger. And then they just got going to think where suddenly the ECW guys did a show, maybe a one-off, like, Hardcore Justice show, which was yeah. a pay-per-view, all for these former ECW guys. Uh. And then the ECW guys all turned face in this group called EV2. To then feud with Fortune, where Fortune, the younger homegrown guys, were the heels. All these older guys who, I don't know if they even should have been in TNA, were the were the faces. <laughs> Basically, kind of like the New Blood and the Millionaires Club back in WCW. Yeah. Uh, so you had the series of matches against them. You had a series of matches against between those guys at No Surrender, where Fortune won all of them. Mm. Most notably, an I Quit match between Tommy Dreamer and AJ. Where AJ won by threat, right, almost sticking a fork in Dreamer's eye, and then there was a lethal lockdown match, which for some reason Fortune lost, <laughs> and then they had a match at Turning Point where it was deemed the whoever loses, uh, whoever seeks the pinfall for EV2 if they lose is fired, and Sabu took the thin. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then they said they put these guys in a series of matches in the next couple of weeks where they kept losing. So by one by one, these guys kept getting fired. Mm. So yeah. So when RVD got taken out, it was by Abyss with his weird like staff thing called Janice that had spikes in it. Yeah. And you know clearly that they didn't. He didn't actually hit him with the thing because he and Abyss brawl away <laughs> off to the side. While there's a massive brawl going on. And then it cuts backstage after it's only been off for like 10 or so seconds. RVD covered in blood. His clothes aren't, his gear isn't ripped in any way. Mm-hmm. And there's no puncture wounds or any way. It's just like blood smeared all over him. Like someone just got a container of fake blood squirted on him. Where And then you've got Abyss with blood on his hands, just screaming with Janice in his hand. Like he supposedly mangled RVD with this big stick. If he actually hit him in any way with that, with that thing, RVD would probably be dead. Mm. And he kept prophesizing they are coming and talking about 10, 10, 10, which was the 10th of March, uh, 10th of October 2010, which was Bound for Glory. Who was Lee? Okay, that's in this. So they started doing this thing where they did a tournament to crown uh, a new champion. Kurt Angle was in the middle of a story go, going through all the top contenders and said, the next match I'll lose against these guys, I will retire. Mm-hmm. And he got into the finals of this tournament. It was going to be a triple threat. Angle versus Mr. Anderson, who we haven't talked about, mm-hmm. versus Jeff Hardy. And Mr. Anderson came in as a heel. And then he teased, like, turning face, even though nobody trusted him. And then turns out, oh, we can't trust him. Mm-hmm. And he made a big thing about how his nickname was, was Asshole or something like that. And 
so it was, you wonder, like, oh, who's actually going to win? Because I remember actually wanting to watch Spinnaker go 2010 because I was starting to probably get into TNA here. Yeah. And being like, oh, I wonder who's actually going to win <laughs> between these guys because either of them could have won. Uh, so, and Sting, or in this time, in this whole prophecy, speaking in Royals, talking about you can't trust Hogan. Mm-hmm. He was being portrayed as this heel. And Eric Bischoff played this video of, like, Hogan getting back through, you know, like, you're basically, like, saying, trying to make Sting out to the bag. Like, you're basically, like... Uh, mocking this poor old guy who's like struggling with all these back surgeries and shit mm. like that. He eventually formed a group with the Pope, D'Angelo Denner, the former, uh, the former Elijah Burke, uh-huh. and Kevin Nash, where they were also saying like you can't trust Hogan and all that. And then that led to a thing where it was a at Bivouac, it was a three on two handicap match. They three against Joe and Jeff Jarrett, mm. but these guys were be standing up for TNA. <laughs> so for the majority of the match. Joe's getting battered and then he finally he's going to tag in Jeff Jarrett for the first time this match after quite a while Jarrett's going to get in Jarrett jumps off the apron <coughs> and walks away and it would be revealed later on that uh, Eric Bischoff came out because Bischoff was kind of an authority figure on TV he was kind of a heel kind of wasn't something mm-hmm. but he came out he was threatening I think to hit somebody with a crutch I think it may have been uh, Angle or something like that or, or with some sort of weapon and uh, Hogan came out on crutches, handed one crutch to Bischoff, took one up, they were so like they were going to go at it. Jeff Hardy comes in, like, stop it, he takes Hogan's crutch, smashes <laughs> uh, Angle over the back with it. Uh, Hogan and Bischoff applaud him, he hits uh, Anderson with the other one, hits a twist of fate, and pins him while, all the while, uh, while Bischoff's telling him to count, he's kicking the referee while the referee's counting. Jeff, Jeff Hardy wins the title, and they is revealed to be guys who were already in TNA. Mm. It was this new faction called Immortal. <laughs> it was uh, Hogan, Bischoff, Hardy is the top heel champion. Mm-hmm. Jeff Jarrett was revealed. Abyss was in on it with them the whole time. Aye. They He was he knew who they were, even though he was prophesizing it. And then uh, on the post for Great Impact, it looked like Fortune were going to have something to say about this whole mm. uh, Immortal thing. And then... Hogan and Flair hugged and Immortal basically and Fortune basically blended together and they're all just Immortal. Yeah. So we say there's this big it's a big faction. A big faction. Led by Hogan with a top, with a monopoly over the top title and they're all heels. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder where I've seen that before. <laughs> but yeah, the big shock at the time was Jeff Hardy is a heel now. Yeah. Which they tried briefly for a few weeks in 2003 but then quickly dropped it quietly. Hmm. Uh, before Jeff got fired, but like, the idea of Jeff Hardy being a heel was like a big thing at the time. And he started talking like in these big long like trying to sound philosophical, he called himself the Antichrist of Pro Wrestling. Mm. And he blamed the fans for him turning heel years of his body being in such pain because he would do all these crazy things <laughs> just to satisfy them and he got nothing in return for it. Mm. And he, he said R V D is just another asshole who won't admit he's an ass kisser. <laughs> So Jeff went on a run with, with the heel jam. I mean, kind of an underrated kind of run Jeff had to you. And then it would also involve him bringing in that very ugly-looking immortal belt. Mm. He uh, purpley belt with a uh, design designed, no surprise, by Jeff Hardy himself. <laughs> Probably what, on one of the many times he was high. I like that belt. Oh. Well, then I'm high a lot of times. Yeah, so you you probably have an appreciate. You probably can get into the mindset he was in when he was probably dead. Probably. <laughs> so then Sting and 
Nash were then portrayed as heels for months, were then revealed to be where you were right all along. <laughs> and then they were offered a shot to join Immortal, and they just said, nah, we quit. And they wandered off. Uh, Thing would come back, but Nash would just leave, and that would lead them going back to WWE. Mm-hmm. Now, Dixie Carter, we know how stupid Dixie Carter is. Yes. But they made her look even more stupid because Abyss had threatened to attack Dixie and hurt her with like Janice mm-hmm. on the on the post so the the go home show for Brown for Glory. And uh she wanted Abyss gone, but are you like, I want my revenge against Abyss at Brown for Glory, don't fire him like so you're okay fine, but Abyss is gone whether despite regardless of the result of the match. So they signed the match. But Abyss is going to be fired regardless of the result. Mm-hmm. Basically, just a chance for, for R.E.D. to get his revenge. And uh, Hogan had the thing for her to sign that made it official that he would be fired regardless of everything that happened, but have also signed the match. It would be revealed that that's not what she was signing. <laughs> she When she signed it, she didn't look at it. She was just desperate to get rid of Abyss. She didn't look at what she was signing. She did essentially signed TNA over to Hogan and Bischoff. <laughs> so they basically had security force yeah. out of the arena and Hogan was now in control of TNA. <laughs> and the Pope was kind of annoyed that Sting and Nash left him. So he said, fine, I'll keep fighting on my own. And he kept getting beaten up for weeks. Like he had a five-on-one handicap match one week against All of Fortune. Or the time where he had a match against Abyss, it was a lumberjack match. And because he's called the Pope, he had what he's called his congregation as the lumberjacks. Yeah. This match with Abyss was all like family members or people close to him. And then during the match, Bishop comes out and goes like that. Mm. Basically meaning... And then all the Lumberjacks attack Pope, basically. Uh, Bishop bought off the people closest to to the Pope mm. and helped the best win. So basically, no matter who stood up to them for ages, a mortal just ran Russia over TNA. No, it was that. Mm-hmm. Mr. Anson got a concussion, like, I think legitimately, from a really bad chair shot from Hardy <laughs> on an episode of Impact. Jeez. He got taken out, so... You, you'd think it was either going to be Anderson challenging Hardy because uh, he was one of the guys that attacked him or it would be RVD getting his belt back. Mm. RVD kept trying to get a shot at Hardy, kept being denied and Anderson would eventually come back and get a title shot. He would win the title from Jeff, then lose it again a month later. <laughs> so again, it's one of those things like, what is the point in having this big heel group that monopolises everything yeah. if no one's going to get comeuppance against them? Give them their come up and sorry. Well, that was TNA. Legit, they weren't very forward thinking in that respect. No. You know, you get in your WWE guys, give them monopoly on titles, monopoly on TV time, mm-hmm. and it becomes a lot like WCW was in the end up. Yeah. You know, people that could have actually helped the company progress were not focused on. No, nah, not at all. You know, and even when they were focused on Jeff Jar- uh, Jeff Hardy. Mm-hmm. He was a girl that was already established. He didn't need that much TV time. I think he had, a, like I said, his run as a heel was kind of underrated, regardless, because he did some good stuff as a heel, mm. like some of the promos that he cut. But uh, there was one time someone threw a bottle at him as he was sitting on the on the uh, on the turnbuckle. Someone threw a bottle and he just swatted it back at them. <laughs> uh, also, in uh, twenty ten, in the women's division, yeah. they did a thing where. Uh, Madison Rain I think was split away from the beautiful people and she won the title thanks to this mysterious motorcycle woman mm-hmm. who's in all the other you ever took her motorcycle helmet off who, who is this mysterious woman it was Tara <laughs> mm. 
you want know, to talk about bad decisions made by Hogan. I'm, I listed down in the list of uh, bad gimmick matches, but I thought, let's wait till we're actually at 2010 Impact well, to on. talk about it. I want to talk about the Lockbox Challenge. <laughs> we have, I believe it was Velvet Sky, Angelina Love, Tara and uh, Daphne, I think it was, uh-huh. who all won matches to get a key for a lockbox. Yeah. And <clears throat> you could get four things from this lockbox. Basically, if you thought the future fired was shit, where do you hear this? Go on then. One lock- lockbox opens up a shot at the Knockouts Championship. And not only that, you get to choose what stipulation you get in that in that match. Right. So basically, you can uh, use that to your advantage. You open one lockbox, you get the actual championship itself. You are now the champion. Okay. One, Tara used to carry her in this tarantula with her. So if you open one box, you would get her tarantula. Right. And the final box meant that whoever got open that had to immediately go to the ring and perform a striptease for the live audience. <laughs> now, whoever, whoever opened the box opened the striptease box, right? Now, like, basically you got given a key, you didn't know which, who, what was in it, yeah. your box. So Velasquez opens her box. She opens up a title shot. Good for her. Good for her. Now, Tara was the knockout champion at the time. Yeah. This is in like early 2010. She opens the box. It's her tarantula. She's all happy, like, yay, my yeah. tarantula, we're reunited. But then suddenly it's written for me and you see the suddenly shock on her face and she realises, yeah, but that means you've lost the knockout championship because <laughs> you didn't open the box with the title in it. Yeah. And you know, Love opens a box. It's got the title in it. Yeah. So... Tara lost the title via lockbox, but she didn't have the right key, so she lost the title. Yeah. So Daphne, who's may have this, who has this weird goth like kind of like gimmick, as uh, uh, to say, she's basically not the kind of character you would see doing a striptease. Opened the box with a striptease in it, and a very half-hearted one that she didn't even finish. I think. Yeah. And basically. I think it was just done because, like, wouldn't it be funny if she was the one that got it and not one of the people you'd expect, like, someone from the beautiful people? Yeah. Also, as part of a freebird thing for the Knockouts tag titles, when Madison Rain left, they added in uh, Lacey Von Ennick mm. uh, into the group. She was horrible. <laughs> I don't want to talk about her too much, it's just she was horrible. She was just pish. She was just pish. She could not wrestle. <laughs> uh, very soon after, in 2011... Impact switched from just calling it Speakly Show Impact to Impact Wrestling. Yeah. So it was TNA Impact Wrestling. And the slogan, new slogan in 2011 became, Where Wrestling Matters. Mm. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're, I'm, I'm sure it does, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, that's, that's why you hire Hulk Hogan. So Hardy, so Mr. Anson at Genesis 2010, wins, earns a title shot. Uh, against Hardy in the main event match it's MVP Matt Warrior when he gets the title shot against Hardy yeah and then he's knackered Bishop comes and he goes what a great performance by you and guess what you've got your match for the world title you've got it right now <laughs> and here comes Jeff Hardy in street clothes smoking a cigarette as he's on the way down to the ring <laughs> who just assumes oh, I'll get a quick win and then in a brief match actually he's upset by Anderson and Anderson wins the title <laughs> then, immediate, then the next pay-per-view he loses it back to Hardy in a ladder match yeah in the interim between those two, Fortune turned face and uh, turned against Immortal. Right. So now you do this weird faction war thing where you had them like, they're, it looks like they were going to help Hardy beat up Anderson and then AJ did the Fortune symbol to Hardy and then they started attacking Immortal and then 
AJ hit Hardy with a Styles Clash, yeah. which looked very peculiar when he first lifted him up, but he managed to hit it safely. And then on the March 3rd, I think it was, Impact, they were teasing a mystery opponent for Hardy, and it revealed to be Sting, mm-hmm. who hadn't been seen since post-Brown for Glory. They had this really nasty looking spot where Hardy got caught up in the ropes, and Sting did a Scorpion Death Lock drop uh, as Hardy was hung up in the ropes. So basically landed right high on his neck. Yeah. And that would lead to then Hardy was meant to win the title back at Victory Road. We're here, Paul. We're here at the... The famous... The famous Victory Road pay-per-view, which was promoted like fuck, if I remember. Now, I want to say, it's not just this match that's bad about this show, by the way. This is a horrible pay-per-view in general. Yeah. We forgot to mention that a few pay-per-views before this, uh, RVD like, demanded, demanded his shot. to find it, fight Hardy, and eventually it looked like Bishop had related to it. Fine, you want Hardy, you get Hardy. You get Hardy. And then RVD goes to the ring, and then, because he was originally in the face a mystery opponent, was, I don't yeah. care about your mystery opponent, I want Hardy. I went, fine. And then Jeremy Boris, the ring announcer, goes, I now introducing the mystery opponent. So there's a confusion, like, yeah. so let's see if I and then you hear this word, down, 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 music. And then who comes out? Matt Hardy. So technically he got what he wanted. He said, you want Hardy, you get Hardy. You get Hardy. Yeah. And it was Matt Hardy and these weird dread kind of things. Yeah. Matt, Matt, I think Matt will admit that he was not in a good place at this time. No, no, he wasn't. Was he still a little tubby then too? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah, because a while of this, he would go to Ring of Honor where people would chant Fat Hardy at him. Yeah. <laughs> he did get a little tubby. Yeah, so at Victory Road, he fights AJ Styles. Uh, also on Victory Road, you have uh, Sarita and uh, Rosita and Sarita yeah. of this new group called Mexican America. Uh, I don't, don't believe I heard led, led by Hernandez and yeah. uh, his tag partner, I can't remember. But uh, I believe maybe Sarita of the group is notable because she went on to become uh, Selena Vega in the WAB. Oh, mm-hmm. who you inform me is dating Alistair Black, right? Married to Alistair Black. Married to Alistair mm-hmm. Black, yeah. Ah. Well, after being engaged for a while to Austin Eddie's. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting little tidbit. So yeah, I think she, I think she improved though in the world. Though when you think of it, I often, I often thought Austin Eddie's have a very triangular face. Oh, yeah. So she moved up, I think, because there's some stories towards the end of this rich red of that I'll tell about Austin Eddie's that don't paint him in the best light. So oh, is he a bit of a cad? He's not the best person to be around, I don't think. Ah. So well, but we will, we will discuss his his failings soon. So. <laughs> They did, like, they had those two defending, the, challenging for the Knockouts cha- Tag Championship. So yeah. They won them, I think, uh, Rosita Pintara. But, like, the thing, or whoever she was playing, like, she did, that person had her in a roll, th- or kind of roll up, but if you didn't see it, so Rosita came in, hit her, called Sarita, called Sarita to then counter the roll up. Yeah. But the referee still took his time coming in for the pin, so she had <laughs> just hold it there, despite the fact that, given the size difference, she shouldn't have been able to hold her opponent yeah. there for as long as she did. So just a little bit of a time fuck up where like. Yeah. And then you had Hernandez and Matt Morgan for a tag partners going at it in a first blood match. How did the match end? When the referee wasn't looking, Hernandez got a big packet of fake blood, sprayed it on <laughs> on Matt Morgan. <laughs> referee seen blood on Morgan, called for the bell. Yeah. Despite seeing no cuts or anything. No cuts. And it was on his chest, no cuts on his chest. If it was on his face you couldn't you didn't need to look for cuts, but like no no, checking around, just seen. Oh, that's red liquid. That must be blood. <laughs> Call for the bell. 
let's ship it into a first blood match. Ever. Yeah. And then, you know, some shows can be saved by their main event. Most shows are defined by their main event. This one, this one is defined by its main event. <laughs> this one will live in infamy for years to come. So what I understand is, they went over the match, what they were going to do. Hardy yeah. was going to win the title. Hardy disappeared for quite a while during yeah, the day. Hardy had been Hardy had been there and had got the rundown of the match. Knew it was coming, so you'd think, mm-hmm. being a professional wrestler, uh-huh. he would have a sense to keep his habits to when he wasn't wrestling. Yes, keep that till after the show. Celebrate yeah. your title win. Celebrate with your nefarious drug habit. Apparently, they didn't know where it for a while during the daylight. Like, it was getting close to the match. They didn't know like, where the fuck is he? Right. and then he came in, and apparently he was standing in gorilla, and or whatever you call it in TNA, but like. Gorilla, I think it was quite clear for some people that like he it was fucked. he was fucked up. Like you watch the clip back, it takes him ages to come out. It, it, yeah, his music comes on and it's playing for ages. And it's playing and playing. You're like, is he is he building up dramatic entrance or some shit? Because Hardy was known for that. Yeah, I think, he, I think as a heel, he, he did like let his entrance go on for a bit. But then this yeah. was a case of, like it felt weird. Like okay, he shouldn't have been out by he now. He should have been out by now. Yeah, and he comes out and it. I've seen it right, and at first I thought he was just playing up because he came out and he kind of came out doing his his Jeff Hardy uh, thing, like, you know, yeah. kind of like oh like that. But then he went and kind of marched over to one side of the fans because <laughs> it was a rampway. Yeah, and he kind of marched his over and he's like ah like that to the fans, and he kind of hobbles back up again. <laughs> and he he seems to hold that weird uh-huh. Jeff pose right the way down. He does it straighten up. He just yeah. kind of, <laughs> and then he gets to the ring. Uh-huh. And kind of squats down in the corner with this weird grin on his face. He's like, when the camera properly zooms in on him, you can tell in his face like he is. He fu- is you look at his, his eyes like he's out of it. Yeah, his eyes are not there. He's. And you look at it like it's back in the days. This is before our, like your streaming services. So people paid good money to, to see this match. To, to pay for the pay per view, like it's in the name pay per view. Yeah, and people were obviously paying to see Hardy v Sting. Yeah, if for nothing else. And Sting comes out. It's weird seeing Sting come out with that crappy hardy purple belt that he came yeah, out with. Yeah, yeah. He immediately got rid of it the next night. Came out with what looked kind of the shape of it was made to kind of look, look like the old like world heavyweight title. Yeah, but, but no. So Sting comes out mm-hmm. and stands in the ring, and he seems to be like talking with the ref. Alright, then Bischoff comes out. I, I don't know if there's been anything said of what. Uh, Sting said to the ref at the time. I don't know, but like Bishop comes out, the he's basically trying to stall time because he knows they've got a good bit of time left. Cause yeah, yeah. You give your main event time, so there's good time left on the pay per view. So bring out the, the on screen commissioner or, or heel, authority, heel guy. authority guy. So he was trying, he just cut this promo, like basically saying, like, he was making it no DQ. It basically made it look like he was being set up to like aid Hardy and let a mortal come out and be yeah, involved yeah, yeah. and shit. And then apparently, while he was up close, he, he uh, Thing. Apparently, you, you don't quite see it, but if you know it's what he's saying, you can kind of tell what he's saying. For the love of God, pin him quick. Yeah, yeah, he's he like, says. just get him pinned. And then the match ends. Hardy's trying to like, actually yeah, wrestle him. Exactly. But then Singh just like, I'm not having it. Turns him around. That's the Scorpion Death Drop. Hardy is trying to get his shoulder up. He can, I think he does at one point, yeah. but the ref just counts him down. Yeah, he's, he's struggling and wiggling. Aye. You know, like, like Sting properly stacks up to ensure he doesn't get back up. Yeah, Sting holds him proper up and like he looked pissed off. Oh, like this was another minus five stars from Brian. Yeah, Allen. but Sting, I mean, Sting's not enough, not a fucking pro. Like, because that's what Brian Alvarez said. Like, I like I enjoyed listening to his rant about it, but like he said, this would technically be minus four and a half because 
Listen, none of this is Sting's fault. Yeah. And he's right there. And apparently people start chatting bullshit. Yeah, I heard that. And yeah. then Sting turns to the crowd as he's walking out and turns around and goes, I agree. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I agree. And Hardy's just left there looking all bewildered like, what the fuck? So, do you know anything of what was said to Hardy like when he got back behind that curtain? I imagine a lot of expletives were, were thrown. I would say so. His way. I mean, he had to do a lot of groveling to get back to that company when he did. Like, he disappeared. You don't see him for... I think the go-home show for the September period that year, Hardy is in the closing segment. He just appears in his old music. He comes out just regular old Jeff yeah, Hardy. Yeah. Just walks around, look head down, and he basically apologises to everyone. And he says, I'm, I'm going to try and find a way to make this right. Yeah. And he, he would go for weeks, going up to the show, clip someone backstage, apologising to wrestlers. Some guys would be more forgiving than others. Like, AJ probably sh- sh- starts screaming at him. The age was maybe a face, but I think it was maybe like this is the home going. Yeah, like, yeah, this yeah. Is one of the standard bears of the company yelling at him like you nearly ruined everything. I think this was letting guys probably let their feelings out. Yeah, because I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of the guys in the back were probably like seriously uh, pissed at. There, there were four main ones that I remember that Angle, Angle was technically a heel anyway, but Angle was like apologizing like like Angle like basically wouldn't accept his apologies. Started yelling at me and like Matt Morgan. It's kind of forgiving, like, Matt Morgan talks about his own addiction problems, and so, like, I get where what it means to be, like, that low. Yeah. And that, like... And, like, basically, they wouldn't reference the fact that he was on drugs, but they would but they would mention, like, when you were in that state or when you did yeah, what you did. Yeah, they wouldn't directly say, like, when this man was on drugs. <laughs> the emotionally... One most emotional they do was uh, he went up to Devon Dudley. Yeah. And him and Devon, like, hugged and... Hugged like, out and, and like, shit. And Devon, like, I'm here for you, like... Don't you ever do that again? Yeah, like don't fuck about, man. Mm. And even to this day, if you want to talk about like in a non-wrestling sense, like in a personal sense, uh-huh. even to this day, Jeff Hardy's still got his issues. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's obviously like he, I mean that's something I don't think personally as a fan from what I've seen in Jeff Hardy like from years and years, mm-hmm. I don't honestly think that Jeff Hardy's ever going to get a full. Handle. Hold on, handle on his issues. Well, it's a case of like you get you go to rehab, you, you try to investigate clean, but I don't think they've, people have said to have suffered like it's not a, like you get cured of it, you're still struggling every yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. Because like he had, I don't remember any major issues in the years following. Like I know he had a couple of issues when he went back to WWE, like a few DUIs here and there, but nothing seemed on the on the level on the of, level of Victory Road. Yeah. So like a few minor things, like he was a bit, he had a few extra drinks when he and he drove when he shouldn't have. Yeah. But he wasn't out of his face to the extent that he used yeah, to get. Like yeah. back in like twenty ten, I think it was. There was a, a video of him and Matt and a diner or something like that out of their face, and somebody filming them and Jeff leaned the camera and I made punk a fucking star and all that. Yeah. And uh, Matt just rambling on about the fact that Matt that punk was dating Lita or something like that. Yeah. Punk yeah. and Lita, Lita dated for a while randomly. We think it's funny that there's a clip of AJ as a teenager meeting Lita and crying, <laughs> and then uh, a woman that a guy that Lita went out with would end up getting married to AJ. But yeah, which is kind of but fucked up when you think about going it. Going back to Victory Road. Yeah, sorry, I don't. Like we're we're, we're starting to ramble about the problems of us, the Hardys. Us ramble? Well, you talked about the diner thing. Well, I'm just saying an example <laughs> of how fucked up you would get at the time. Yeah, both of them. But no, this match. I mean. It was horrible, but you you can't deny it will live in infamy for all the wrong for reasons. all the wrong reasons. You know, I mean that could have been 
Just imagine the kind of match that could have been if Jeff Hardy was, you know, mm-hmm. straight up, Cause, sober. Because Immortal were around for until around Bound for Glory that year. Yeah. So they were. So you got to think Hardy would win the belt, maybe hold it to Bound for Glory, and then drop it, and that would be like that would wrap up the Immortal storyline. Yeah, line. yeah. Because they seem to be just wandering around with no clear like face of the group. That happens so often, especially in factions. Yeah, well, like Mister Anderson randomly turned heel. Yeah. Just for like to get a bit of thing. And then lost it back and then just went against them and then ended up spinning out of it feuding with Billy Ray, who I might mention. Yeah. During the book there in the machine guns to Reign, they would have a match against uh, the, against uh, Team 3D, which is billed as Team 3D's retirement. They yeah. lost. Uh, Chris Stephen was one of the apparently only the second guy up to that point after Masato Tanaka kick out the 3D. And mm. uh they 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 came on impact, they were cutting this big emotional like goodbye. And as they went to walk away, Bubba attacked Steve on. I went, the Dudley's maybe done, but I'm not done. And the only reason Saban kicked it out is not because he's a great wrestler, because Devon is weak. Mm. And he became bully rain and he went on this weird feud with uh, Devon, which also involved uh, D- Billy Ray beating up Devon's sons. Yeah. And then randomly there was a preview where he was having a hardcore match with Dominic Jumer and Blue and Devon's sons distracted him. Devon slides to the ring and him and Tommy Jumer hit Billy Ray with a 3D <laughs> table. <laughs> So Billy Ray was some of probably his best work when he started like being Billy Ray by yeah. himself in TNA. So, I must say, well, the one thing I really did hate about Billy Ray's tenure was the whole storyline with Brooke Hogan. Oh, I think we'll come across that bitch when we get to it. Yeah, because that was, that was awful. Mm-hmm. But yeah. then again, the whole thing about the... Which we all come to, I'm sure, is the whole split up between Team 3D... KMSs and X. Ah, yeah. You know, which is a great thing we will get on to. Mm-hmm. Now, we've been here over two hours. Now, granted, I think the first 15, 20 minutes were about Super Showdown. So it's like the SpongeBob thing, two hours later. But we've gone from 2007, like mid-2007, when Angle won all the belts, yeah. to 2011 Victory Road. There was yeah. a lot that happened. Like, a lot happened, and I... I, I I really, I feel I should have spoke up a little more, but like you were really on a roll there, man. Like, you know, like twi- I just kept thinking like every time I asked to trade something that happened in, t- in twenty ten, something else would come to the mind. Like something that I knew that I wanted to talk about, and stuff that I forgot to note down. There, like oh, and then yeah. that happened. Like yeah, I will say it. I've said it twice already. <laughs> and I'll say it again. Fucking twenty ten and TNA, man. Totally, but a lot of the time I felt like I was just sitting there going, yeah. 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 I was like these were the years there were so many things happening. There were so many these were the year for TNA started becoming a parody of itself. Yeah. I mean there was I don't know if this guy that I'm about to mention mm-hmm. was about in this time. But there was a guy you kept talking about the beautiful people and yeah. weird groups in TNA. There was a guy in one of the factions that looked a bit like a weird sort of clown, crazy Steve. Oh, we're not there yet. He was part of Decay. That would be Decay. That's we're a few one. years away from that. A few years away from crazy time. Steve. Mm-hmm. See, I like crazy Steve. <laughs> I liked him. Yeah, it's a shame know. he's not still with the company. But I like crazy Steve. I, I could have sworn he was in WWE. Or there are photos of him at the performance center without the makeup. Yeah. That. Well, there you go. Maybe he's going to, like, maybe he is an NXT guy or some maybe, shit. Maybe he's a trainer or something like that. I don't know. I've not maybe, actually heard, yeah, of, yeah. heard of what happened to him. Yeah. But I did like Crazy Steve. He was kind of cool. <laughs> he's, he's cookie. <laughs> Crazy. Well, I see. Doug Williams was split away from uh, the from Fortune with Fortune. AJ for the TV belt. 
Yeah. Doug Williams, like, he retired a couple of years ago. That's the TV belt that was the global belt that was the Legends belt, mm. yes. Yeah. <laughs> Doug Williams is one of the guys, basically, he was one of the few, like, TV guy, uh, British guys for that was actually getting to go abroad and yeah. represent the UK. He used to do a thing in the X Division where, obviously, he was all against high flying. He was the proper British technical wrestler <laughs> who was, like, you appalled against, uh, <laughs> against uh, high flying and that. And, he was forced to be in an Ultimate X match and then basically he just refused to do any spots. He just tried to gingerly climb across to get to the belt. So he's sort of like a William Regal one. Kind of. Also a lot of like, kind of like Drew Gulak did a couple yeah. years ago. He was against uh, Flips in the Cruiser Division. Like, his whole scene was, uh, like Drew Gulak's always was, safe and sound, feet on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> but, so then he won the TV title. He had a really good finisher called the Rolling Chaos Theory, where it was a roll through it as if you go for a roll. Then you keep rolling through it into a bridge in German suplex. Oh. So, you know, the momentum in there. Yeah, so, that'd be pretty cool. Unfortunately, he didn't get to keep it on too long because a month later he would lose it to Abyss. Damn. He would get injured and then uh, Gunner would hold on to it for him. Yeah. And he would hold it for a while, not do much with it. Eric Young kind of tricked him. He, uh, he, stole, he found the old TNA belt in the yeah. trash. And this, and this was maybe he was a bit mental because he took a bump on the head and yeah. maybe he was maybe mental. Man, were you mental? Eric Fucking Young. Where Eric this Young. is where he started properly growing his beard out as well and all that. Ah, I remember. But that. then, so he wondering this belt that he thinks... So it's it seems, a shame he's basically getting jobbed out on WWE now. Yeah. But like, I think his time's come and gone. Yeah. Whatever would have happened if Sanity had been given a go. Ah, yes. But, <laughs> like, he's wondering with this belt and then he... Uh, Claims he accidentally stole the TV belt and left Gunner with the old belt. Yeah. And so, like, fine, I'll give you your belt back. You may, give me a shot in the title. But, like, he's, again, making someone look like an idiot. He said, you remember the finger poke I did? And he's, like, basically said, you just poke me, I'll go down, you can pin me. He's, like, telling him to a TV title match where he would lay down for him. Yeah. So then, Gunner has a poke. Young goes down. Goes down to go pin him. Young pops back up. Hits him, rolls through. One, two, three, Eric Young's the TV <laughs> champion. <laughs> And then he would go into this weird field with Robbie E. Yeah. Who had uh, Rob Terry as his bouncer. He'd call him Big Robbie T. Or he'd he call himself Big Rob and Bigger Rob. <laughs> Big Rob and Bigger Rob. I liked Robbie E to an extent. He's called uh, Robert Stone now. Yeah. As his like, manager in uh, NXT now. Yeah. He's allegedly maybe a parody of uh, AEW backer and uh, Tony Khan. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. Ignorant. But, like, weird thing about Robbie is he seemed to be changing his finisher every other match he was in. Like, he'd have a new finisher. Uh, I think the whole thing about him when he was talking was just basically he is a Jersey Shore ripoff. Yeah, I remember him. And then, with, it, with his little polo shirts and things. And then he would... He was on it for a while and then he would randomly listen to Devon Dudley. <laughs> And then it was while Devon was holding it that they did what they should have done with the TV title to begin with. They had Hogan announce that, yeah, we're now doing a thing where the TV title must be defended each and every week on TV. Yeah. Which was fun for a while until yeah. Devon disappeared. I think maybe drew a contract thing and then Samoa Joe won the vacant title. Yeah. And we'll leave that belt for now. <laughs> yeah, we have, we have covered quite a significant amount. Yeah, we I have. think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say also a bit about Eric Jones taking a bump on the head and now he's silly that, was, that seems to be a, a really go-to thing here before wrestling learned about concussions they used to like how do we explain someone's changing attitude they've had a bump on the head yeah that was a really go-to thing but 
it was a really... Now they say, what explains the change in attitude? The fiend got to them. Like, but like, there was a thing in 2010 that did where men trying to look like, we're not like WWE, but it was in the worst sense, where in 20, there was a date in 2010 where WWE officially banned, made official that chair, unprotected chairs up to the head or yeah. are officially done, they are banned now. Yeah. And what did TNA do? They had a uh, homicide bash... Rob Terry in the head with a chair. Didn't have Rob Terry get his hands up. He had Rob Terry stand there on the side. Basically, almost <laughs> to the point where he's throwing the chair and where the chair just bounces off his head and flies all the way. But you know what's even worse what they do? They have Rob Terry no-sell it. Rob Terry takes the big chair shot and just stands there and no-sells the chair shot. Jeez. Like, oh, W, you're too safe in PG. Like, yes, I definitely want to protect people's brains. Brain. I don't want people having Alzheimer's and forgetting who the fuck they are in years to come. And ending with horrible, horrible things happening. Yeah, and not want to die young. Yeah. Yes. Epoxy to those overly safe men. (laughs) We don't care if our stars become homicidal and cheese-brained. I know. Like with Craig, the whole reason he left out he was... They were concerned about him accumulating injuries and wanting to take away rehab because he was taking a lot of painkillers. Yeah. What happens? Within two months, he's in TNA. Like, <laughs> we don't care about your health. Mm. Like, somebody joked, like, and then you left her, and then Vixie went, come over here, we've got a big bag of painkillers over here for you. Yeah. <laughs> what? Court. Contract. <laughs> pills. Many. I wanted pills. You get in here, like, for million. a contract worth millions of dollars. Millions of dollars could buy many pills. Explain. Money can be exchanged for goods and services. Woohoo! <laughs> Love Simpsons reference there for you. Yep. <laughs> Simpsons rules. I know. But. A lot of people say it's not as funny anymore, but you know what? You can still find funny in some episodes. The Simpsons will outlive us all. <laughs> it bloody will. It will. They say the things that will survive a nuclear holocaust cockroaches, Twinkies, and The Simpsons. Yeah. <laughs> so after the, if you survive a nuclear apocalypse, you can sit up, survive on Twinkies, and sit with the cockroaches and watch some Simpsons. Yeah. That was better than nothing, isn't it? I know. I think that's a perfect way to end this show. <laughs> well, with cockroaches, nuclear holocaust, Twinkies, and the Simpsons. Yes. Nothing. Well, just completely nothing to do with the Simpsons, <laughs> with, the, with the TNA that we've been talking about for the last two hours. But. Well, we're up to 2011, I believe, like, Aces and Eights and the ending of, like, Hogan's Time Aside. There are a few things that we can kind of balance through up until about 2016 where it looked like the company was really going to get, was really going to, like, end. Yeah. But also the good part of that is, the good news is, we get to talk about the even bigger train wreck that is Global Force Wrestling. Oh, good <laughs> fuck no. <laughs> Is uh, that a, is that an appropriate response? I think it is. Yeah, but I don't know when we'll do part three. Uh, again, we are going to do it very soon. But when we do a part three, uh-huh. eventually we'll get to current day impact, uh-huh. which is all kinds good. Uh-huh. You know. But well, I'm thinking the next couple of weeks. I don't know which order we should do it in, but one episode we should uh, do a double phaser. To do the makeup for this week and next week. We should definitely yes. do a double phrase next uh, and talk and talk about the uh, mania card and how that's looking. Well, from like, what, from what you've told me, 
It's looking good so far. Yeah, because like I want the rest of the stuff happening in wrestling now, but obviously we're needing to focus on impact for now, so we only just touched on it at the start. <laughs> yeah. But like, and also at some point it's going to me to. Uh, I think it's time we do in your gap three. Indeed. It's been a while since the last one, so Indeed. I don't know which order we're going to do those in. I think maybe we'll do the Frasier and the, and the WrestleMania one first and then in your gaff. I think so. And at some point, maybe either just before or just after Mania, we will have done Impact Part 3. Yep. <laughs> Impact Tricks Back. <laughs> <laughs> if this is Part 2 Electric Bigelow, then I need to come up with a funny name for Part 3. I'm, I'm sure we'll talk in glowing form about the departure of Dixie Carter. Oh yes, <laughs> we will. Because she was an idiot. I don't even think like her leaving. I think was was done so quietly that she was like bought to the point where she only had a, a tiny. She, she was two percent. Yeah, like I think it was point where she had five. She was a minority interest or whatever. Like, she was phased out, and in terms of interest, like she wasn't appearing on TV. Also, they'd a big like, right off TV. Yeah, but, and behind the scenes, she was written out so she was phased out so quietly that it wasn't even a big story when that happened when you think it would be yeah yeah just weird but no I, I checked up on it recently online I think she has like 2% of the company now so she's gonna has some stake in it but like she has she's a not few involved crumbs in, she's not but, she, but she's apparently involved she's apparently related to Dick from Ant and Dick fuck off really did you not see this I did not see this apparently Ant and Dick did this weird like who do you think you are style program where they look trace their family history and it turns out somehow a distant distant cousin somehow uh, are Dick and Dixie Carter. That's fucked up, man. That's kind of cool. I thought you would have seen this. It was a big thing. No. <laughs> I tend to avoid news that involves either Ant or Dick. <laughs> Apart from, you know, if we ever actually get the balls to in that fucking jungle themselves. Wait, Instead what? of standing there, I'm getting more milk from the fridge. Alright. That's what I'm doing. They just randomly stood up as we're about to do the outro. No, no, I'm getting myself more milk. So I, I like milk. Well, I like people who are sticking with us for like mentioning like, oh, mind when this mental thing happens. Because <laughs> that is a lot of teenage history. Yes. It's stupidity and insanity. And I hope you'll. Uh, as I say, eventually we'll get to crazy Steve. I hope you will. Uh, you guys stuck with us through my breakdown during 2010 TNA. But if you watched it at the time, you're thinking like. That is the appropriate response. That is the PTSD-like symptoms to be feeling yes. for 2010 TNA. Whilst I was sat there going, uh-huh, yes. You, you, were, you were there, you were letting me vent to it. It's helping aid me in my recovery from the trauma that is 2010 TNA. Well, I'm okay. I think I gave a very good response to the Super Showdown at the start of the show. Yeah, I mean... And a very, a very good rebuttal in the, the Super... The 2011 one. Yeah, like, I think... Because you said you came and you've seen the Aces and H, you'll have a lot you mentioned there, so you know, don't oh, feel yeah, bad. Yeah. So. But we'll get to that sooner or later. We're, we're good. I think it's time we take a break from TNA for a couple I of weeks. I think so, I think so. Unless it's anything that happens current day impact, in which case you can talk about that to your heart's desire on this show. But for now, we'll save the the history of TNA yeah. for, a, for a good while. But we will be talking about Frasier more in the next couple weeks, talking about WrestleMania. We'll have our next In Your Gaff. A bit in your get house three triple threat where all again all the belts are on the line. Yep. Uh, and obviously WrestleMania is coming up, so we'll have we'll have something planned for that. But in the meantime, we hope that you'll follow us on Twitter at Instagramling. Like I mentioned earlier on, you can follow me on Twitter at scottmcleod1996. You can like our Facebook page, facebook.com/slash/ramblingpodcast. 
I'm trying to post on there a lot more than I do. Yeah. I, all the likes to the Android podcast sites that wherever we want are on those social media, whether it be Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcast, Podbean, wherever you get your podcast. Please make sure to follow us, like, subscribe. If you're on iTunes, give us a rating if you want. Preferably, preferably five stars, obviously, but because <laughs> I don't like people who give four star views. Like most people who vote on iTunes, either give a one star or a five. They don't use the ones in between. <laughs> And if you listen to this and you think, I know somebody who also enjoys listening to weird nonsense or enjoys listening to stuff about Frasier or wrestling, <laughs> let them know about this. Recommend the podcast to a friend. Yeah. And... We would recommend you. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I'm between AJ or Kurt Angle for the theme song to close the show. I think mainly because I feel bad for him having to be involved in this whole Fortune Ric Flair thing. I, and also, it's not even the worst angle he was involved in TNA. It's still to come. Yeah. I think it's sympathy I want to do AJ Styles theme song. I say go for AJ Styles theme song. Alright man. So cause also I feel bad for him for being beaten for a one shot slam by the Undertaker. <laughs> I forgot that we talked well, about it at the start of the at show. At least he was there. <laughs> at least he was there. At least he was there. Well, thank you for sticking with us everyone. And we hope you into the next time for where we turn to Fraser. I talk yep. even more wrestling and God knows what else. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll do more confectionery. Who knows? We'll talk about Stalin. <laughs> so, from Paul, I've been Scott. And from Scott, I've been Paul. And we'll see you next time. See ya. Get ready to fly. Like he's alone there, and when he's taking off, it's like he owned air. Trying to hide down.